Hey listeners, and welcome to My Streaming Bubble, that little old podcast where I talk about the shows that I love with the people I tolerate. Being tolerated today is my good buddy, Eric, and we're bringing the doom. That's right. We're talking about Doom Patrol. Originally aired on what, that DC network? And now seasons one and two are on HBO Max. Uh, it stars Diane Guerrero, April Balby, Matt Boomer, Brendan Fraser, Timothy Dalton, and Jovian Wade, and Alan Tudyk, of course. So, hi, welcome, Eric. Hey, thanks hi. for having me back. Hi. So good to be able to sit down and record with you. We haven't recorded in a while, so I'm very excited for today. I am too. It's a different show this time. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of exciting to be able to do something new now. Like I loved doing Sabrina and everything, but it's it's always exciting that time where me and a tolerated mm-hmm. get to move on to something new, something fresh. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. So we will hold on one second. So I'm getting a my internet connection is unstable messages, which is always fun. Not a problem at all. Yeah, I don't have the greatest internet connection either. So hey charter. Yeah. Buck Charters. Yeah. So, so yeah, so today we're going to be talking about uh, season one of Doom Patrol. So this mm-hmm. is your spoiler warning and kind of a brief synopsis of the first season. We meet the Doom Patrol made up of the wonderful little ragtag group of heroes. Um, anti-heroes? I don't anti-heroes. Know. <laughs> uh, all very unique and tragic with their own origin story. And they've all been kind of collected by uh, Niles Calder. They call him Chief. And well, in season one, their chief, Chief, goes missing. And it's up to this untrained group of misfits with powers and abilities to find and save him from the omnipresent Mr. Nobody. Mr. Nobody. I love Mr. Nobody. Oh, my God. So um, we'll get to Mr. Nobody uh, in a bit, but just real quick, Alan Tudyk is a fucking gem. He's a treasure and everyone needs to love him if they don't already. I feel bad saying this, but is that how you actually pronounce his last name? Tudyk? Cause I can never, I can never pronounce it properly. I think so. I unfortunately didn't have time to like, listen to all the names to make sure I pronounce them correctly, especially the actor <laughs> that plays cyborg. Um, yeah. so hopefully I didn't fuck that up too bad, but real quick about the actor that plays Cyborg, uh, Jovian Wade, again, if I'm saying that right. Um, Mm -hmm. He was in a couple episodes of Doctor Who with Capaldi and Clara. He was Riggsy. Riggsy? Mm -hmm. Why don't I remember Riggsy? Which one? Who was Riggsy? So Riggsy, Clara worked with Riggsy in the episode where the TARDIS shrank and the doctor got stuck in the TARDIS. Oh, really? He he was the uh, um uh he was like the garbage guy, right? Like the garbage man or something? Yeah. Uh, and I don't know what, what did, his job was. And like, what did the like the doctor kept calling him something? Cat? Like, <laughs> oh, it was something more like because he wasn't super impressed with Riggsy at first, and then Riggsy yeah. impressed him, and then he called him something like common people. I don't I don't remember, but he had a. It's a doctor, so he came up with a cutesy little nickname. Why bother learning so much? Hey, I'll be watching those episodes again soon. So once I once I come across it, I'll let you know. I'm sure I'll get a text. <laughs> you probably will as soon as it happens. <laughs> so, but before we go on to Cyborg and Mr. Nobody, we'll just kind of go down the list of the cast of characters. 
we can start with because we've got Cliff, Jane, Larry, Rita, Cyborg, Chief, Mr. Nobody, and then figure we'll discuss kind of a handful of some of those side characters that were just very memorable. So what were your thoughts on this season? And are you, were you familiar with the Doom Patrol prior to the show coming out, like through the comics? Um, so yes, I have heard of the Doom Patrol before. I never read any of the books. I didn't, I don't know their comic origins. I don't know anything about the characters through the books. But what's funny is like when most uh, comic books get adapted into either a TV show or into a movie, those books start to blow up on the market, you know? People are starting to gouge prices on those, you know, because they're, that's what's hot right now. So I didn't really give into, you know, buying any of the books, but I did, you know, look through some back catalogs at one of our, one of my local comic book stores at some of the Doom Patrol books and actually saw that I think these are the most mo- more modern era of the books that the characters we see in the show are actually portrayed in the books, at least based on what I saw through, from flipping through it. I, don't, I didn't see really anything about Jane. I don't know if Jane was created for the show or not, but it's something. It's definitely a group of, uh, of misfits, antiheroes, or if you want to call them that. I think I think I would really enjoy reading reading about and reading their adventures and seeing how it differentiates from comic to show. So that's something I would really uh, like to uh, check out someday. But as far as the first season itself, you know, this is my second time watching this season. Um, and I had to say, it was just, I was just as impressed the second time around as I was the first. It, mm-hmm. It's a fun, overall, it's a fun show. Um, I think there's something in this show that, that could appeal to everybody, unless you just like hate superheroes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, but like, there's, there, there's tragedy, there's love, there's friendship, there's, you know, heroics, there's just, you know, there, there's drama, there's, there's everything that you can possibly think of. Hell, these, there's even a little bit of horror in this show, too. Loose butts! The loose butts are butts. loose! The butts are loose! Oh, my gosh. When you sent me that message the other day, and I had not watched that scene yet, I couldn't remember what you were talking about. And then when it came out, I was, oh, my God, I laughed hysterically. I was just like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, re- I I did enjoy it. I think it, it's, I mean, you know how I am with my TV shows and any of my friends know I am. I, if, I, if I find a show I love, I'm going to watch it like five times. So something mm-hmm. tells me I'll be watching it again. Oh, totally. What about you? So I, I'm not familiar with the comics, but the little bit that I read about kind of the comics to the show online is that I guess throughout the comic run, the group of the Doom Patrol has always kind of been ever-changing. So always a different group of heroes or anti-heroes. But oh, okay. I, apparently the one consistent character through the Doom Patrol has been uh, Cliff, Robot Man. Oh, okay. So I was okay. like, oh. So I'm kind of curious and interested as to maybe if there's like a reason for that, why Cliff is kind of going to be the mainstay, like in the books or whatever. So if you get to him, let me know. Sure, Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I love this show. This show was a lot of fun. It's got everything, like you said, tragedy, comedy, horror. And I think that especially for like DC within that DC extended universe, that mm-hmm. this is quite possibly one of their maybe first, aside from Arrowverse, one of their first big wins. It's kind of like Doom Patrol kind of took that 
a bit of like Arrowverse and a bit of whatever makes the Marvel movies successful and put it into this show. Mm-hmm. And if they could do that for all of their shit, that would be because <laughs> it's a little dark. It's, you know, darker and grittier than like the Marvel shows and movies. Yeah. Or even if you look at show D already existing DC shows like the flash, you know, it's definitely on a whole different spectrum, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I, I have to agree with you completely there. It's uh, it's different from what we're used to seeing DC put out. They can do shows very well. Family that, friendly shows. They should just stick with television and just say, fuck movies. I think at this point, just no. say fuck the movies, but you know, that's where the money is. <laughs> yep. Yep. So hopefully that, I don't know, maybe there's something that can be learned from this, from the studios and they can move forward and really try and do better. Cause with the DC movies, I always get so excited. You know, I love comic book movies. I'm not, like like I said, not a comic book reader, but I love the movies Yeah. and there's always hype around DC movies. And then they come out and it's just such a letdown. So have you watched the uh, trailer for James Gunn's uh, Suicide Squad yet? Not yet. I'm- okay. It, it, I, I will give it a chance. I will definitely give it a chance. Um, I think it's going to be better than the original David Ayer version of Suicide Squad, just because I trust James Gunn's work. Mm-hmm. But <sighs> that's a big hole to fill right there. So yeah, I hope he did his job right. But Yeah, we'll see. Fingers we'll crossed. See. So. Absolutely. So... Now that we've kind of let, let out our laid out our feelings for the for the series, let's start dissecting these characters and breaking them down to what we love and don't love and what we would change. Because you and I, I love it, to change the things we love. <laughs> I find it really funny you use the word dissecting because as soon as you said that, I think of the opening the the opening uh, uh, credits to the show and we see uh, Cliff just robot head getting poked at and pronged you know on his brain and first off can we start there and just how awesome that opening credit scene actually is and how amazing that song is I yes I was just gonna say my very first note for the season is I love the intro yes oh my god so I think when you were first watching this show the very the very first time you're going into it on the pilot episode you're seeing the intro you're like I don't get what the fuck is going on what are what what are they referencing to and then after that first episode you're like I see I get it. it yep and that theme song too is just it's it's so dark it is such a dark song and but it but it really gets it really grips you it's like okay I'm about to get into some shit by watching this show and um throughout the series you know what i really love actually about the intro to the show is there's little tiny references to things that aren't even happening haven't even happened at the beginning episodes like the puzzle pieces with jane for instance mm-hmm. you don't we don't learn about that until way later on in the season and what that actually means and then when you see it you're like ah that makes sense now mm-hmm. you know and it i think that's just creative genius right there with the way they did that introduction I agree. I liked it. I like that it was in a way kind of obvious, especially after you've watched a few episodes and you understand what the connection is and everything of how these different clips throughout the intro represent each one of the members of the Doom Patrol. Yeah. So even after you, we meet Jane, even after that first episode um, and find out she's got 64 alternate personalities, then you just yeah. kind of think, oh, that puzzle is just representation of her 
you know, mind having been split into 64 different personalities. That was my original interpretation of it until we got yeah. that horrible backstory. Until we got it. And I was like, right. well, that's way fucking worse. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, I, liked my, I liked mine better. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. No, you, uh, because it's less sad thinking of it that way. Absolutely. But then yeah. you learn what Jane's true backstory and you're just like, you're just like, oh man, it's like, why, mm-hmm. why? But you know, yeah. but it makes sense. But yeah, I mean, so I just going into the episodes, dissecting them. There's who was your favorite character? Oh, if you could have one, I have two. Can I have two? Okay, I suppose. So I have. I have. Thanks, I appreciate it. <laughs> so my first favorite character from the gang. Um, honestly, I would say would have to be Larry. Um, Larry was, well, for, um, I, I forget the actor's real name. Matt I know you Boomer. just said all the real names. Thank you. So first off, I love Matt Boomer in, uh, in, in White Collar. If you haven't seen the show White Collar, I highly, highly recommend it. That's how I was first introduced to him. Okay. It was a show on USA. He played a art thief. Um, and it, it was on for like four or five seasons. It's, it's just, it's a fucking fun show to watch. Very lighthearted in comparison to Doom Patrol. But Larry, although he, I think some people might think that Larry's story, you know, he's might be more the laid back, more cautious type, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I don't know if we should do this. Larry is very, very, what's the word I'm looking for? He's kind of go-getting um, in the sense that, yeah, he, he questions things, but things also end up working out for him. And the spirit within Larry is also a part of his character. You can't have Larry's character without the spirit. And you and do this show, I don't think could have been half of what it was if the spirit wasn't involved because the spirit played a large role in the entire series. Mm-hmm. Um, Larry was also the, you know, he's the heart of the group, I feel. Um, he is the voice of reason in the group. You know, everybody wants to say, we're going to go and fuck some shit up. And Cliff's all like, yeah! <laughs> and then Hammerhead comes out of nowhere. It's like, yeah, let's fuck these fuckers up. And Larry's going to be like, listen, guys, <laughs> I think we should really think about this. Um, Larry was the voice of reason in the group. And although I can understand Larry's caution, because of his backstory and just him hiding who he truly was from the world, which in my opinion is probably one of the most tragic stories of all of our backstories. I'm sure we'll touch up more on that a little later. Oh, yeah. um, Larry over basically, I think of all the characters, Larry learned to really accept who he is in the end. And I really appreciated that about him. Because for a person in Larry's position, especially growing up in the time period where Larry grew up, it was not easy for someone, you know, who's gay to be able to be gay, well, be who they want to be, you know, Um, he had to put on this front with a family. He was the all American wholesome guy, but that's not who he really was. Mm -hmm. So, but I love the fact that he came to except who he is. And that's probably why I love Larry more than any of the other characters. Though I love all the characters. Mm -hmm. My second favorite character is not an official member of the gang. And I won't go into too deep of details right now, but I will say 
Flex is my second favorite character on the show, period. We will talk more about Flex later, but I, oh God, I, I love Flex. He's I so love, fucking awesome. Yeah, I what agree. A- I love him. And I'm glad that you uh, reminded me to, uh, or noticed that he wasn't on uh, the character list for today. And I was like, oh, fuck oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've got to add him. Um, right. Just watched those episodes last night and like all my notes are like flex this and flex that. And <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he's just a overall fun, fun, fun character. He has the greatest scene in the entire show. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk about that later too. But uh, yeah, flex. Flex is definitely up there with my, in my, in my top two favorite characters. What, what about you? Right on. Well, just to kind of go off, um, go off of your opinions about Larry. I totally agree. Throughout the watch, I kind of kept bouncing around because knowing that this question was going to come up because uh, it's my podcast and I'm going to ask it. Um, <laughs> I kind of kept bouncing around like, because there is different aspects of each character that I really liked or even mm-hmm. within their uh, tragic backstories that yep. really kind of tugged at my heartstrings or I really like felt for them. So because I like felt for them that I just need to protect them and everything and love them. And yeah. like, I'm going to take care sure. of you. Um, sure. But I think consistently, like Larry was always one of my definitely top twos yeah. um, because of, yeah, everything that you said, his, his story and kind of his arc in this first season of coming to accept who he is, who he was and who he mm-hmm. wants to be. Um, and it, and like you said, without that negative spirit, yeah. uh, he never would have reached that kind of realization. And, but there was times where I was like really mad at Larry because he seemed so impatient, you know, at the, in the beginning of the season, he seems very, maybe that's because he was kind of that voice of reason that like, no, I don't want to get involved. You know, him and Rita, they're the ones that don't get involved. So that hesitation, but he just seemed to kind of resist trying to work with the negative spirit. He seemed to be in too much of a rush where he wasn't trying hard enough initially, maybe, but yeah. as, as the negative spirit kind of shared more of these uh, visions with him or dreams, I guess, you know, involving John and them down by the, yeah. the, in the truck. First at the right truck and then at the, then at the motel mm-hmm. and then at the bar. Yeah. 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 So I really loved that for Larry, even though he's lived with this negative spirit now for like 50, 60 years and just kind of sheltered off that the, the events in, in episode one is kind of what triggers him to start working with it, him coming to terms with like, all right, this is negative spirit is who a part of who I am we need to kind of figure some shit out yeah. and then really coming together by the end of the season where they're able to work together and let negative spirit leave Larry's body. You know, they got up to 20 yeah, seconds, yeah. maybe 20 yeah, seconds. Tra- it felt longer. He wasn't sure because he passed out, sure. but these, these little things. And I think those little things with Larry are some of maybe the biggest steps within the show. What was your favorite interaction between Larry and the spirit? Oh, well, the, well, maybe one of the first ones where he wrote the post-it note on the mirror about them needing ground rules and then waking up in the rafters and he's like, really dude, (laughs) this is your response. (laughs) 
<laughs> I love that. All right. Yeah, that was a good one. That was good. Um, but then Jane sees him up there. Yeah. <laughs> She's kind of like over. Yeah, that was a good, that was a great scene. Um, my favorite is when Larry was trying to just leave, leave town and yes. get on a bus. <laughs> and the spirit just kept saying, nope, nope, nobody kept buying new bus tickets. That was hilarious. Cause like trying to watching Larry funny. trying to like run from the bench to the bus before the spirit left his body <laughs> and then just like crashed into the ground. And everybody around is just like watching this, like what, what the fuck is going on? What's this guy's doing? And then the ticket lady's just like, does it even matter at this point? <laughs> Printing him new tickets, new destinations. And you know what's great? You know what's uh, really great about his character is despite how serious Larry is compared to, all, I think, all the other characters, I think Larry Larry's sparks of, com- of comedy throughout the show really stand out. Because, you know, you got a character like Cliff who's just constantly cursing. And Cliff, I think, is meant to be, like, the funny guy on the show. And he is. And he absolutely is. But when Larry has a funny moment it is really fucking funny and the writers did a really good job of portraying that yes larry is this cautious you know you know person who's very protective of himself but when larry lets go he could be the light of the party he could be the life of the party you know yeah yeah no I agree and I think Matt Bloomer does a really great job for someone who we don't see their facial expressions he does an amazing job conveying all that emotion within Larry through his body language the way he carries himself the just the, the small like head tilts or whatever um yeah but yeah his his moments of of being hilarious are, um, are are just great because there's a lot of times where they're like, oh, come on, Larry, we're going to go fuck some shit up. And he's just kind of like, <sighs> make some comment. <laughs> and there's a couple of times where he goes to make some sort of smart assy comment about the insane situation they're about to get in and like negative spirit leaves him. <laughs> and, uh, he just, and I think that's part of the comedy yeah. is because we get that physical humor of, his body just dropping. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, do you remember um, in the early nineties, do you remember the crash test dummies? Not the yes. band, but the actual like commercials, the, like the safety commercials. Sometimes you would see those dummies after like an accident, just like flailing around. And that's always the impression I get when I saw Larry drop into the ground. I always thought of those crash <laughs> test dummies. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh yeah, that was good. Totally. But yeah, Larry, Larry absolutely amazing character um yeah so. you're getting you're sounding very like you have moments of sounding very glitchy and everything kind of slows down so whatever you just said i did not catch oh oh no oh no well okay can you hear me better now yeah yeah it's it's super sporadic so i think just because internet's being butts um I want to since we brought up Cliff I want to move to move on to Cliff but let me see let me just I want to double check my internet strumpf all right listeners we had to take a little break of technical because of technical issues because my internet decided it wanted to be dumb again today so I do apologize Uh, But we will, Eric and I will just go ahead and kind of pick up right where, about where we left off. I think we were getting ready to segue into Cliff, voiced by the um, underrated 
underappreciated Brendan Fraser, who and does an amazing loved, job. And always loved Brendan Fraser. Oh, I'm so glad to see him back, aren't you? <laughs> I am. I am. You know, he was always like Encino Man, first and foremost. Brendan Fraser is always Encino Man and always an airhead from the movie Airheads. Two uh-huh. of like my all-time favorite movies. So when Mummy came out and we watched it way back in the day, it was kind of one of those where it's like, at first I thought I didn't like it. I was like, ah, what's this cheesy piece of shit? But then upon like the 50th rewatch, <laughs> I was like, yeah, this movie's all right. So. And, they made, and, they, and they made three of those starring him. So, you know, they did something right. And a ride at Universal Studios, mm-hmm. which is actually oh. a pretty good old uh, roller coaster, too. Good to know. But yeah, oh, yeah. so he's he voices uh, Cliff Steele, Robot Man. Um, there is another actor that is the body of Robot Man, and I believe uh, his name is Riley Shanahan. Oh. Um, so we've got a physical actor and a voice actor for the uh, Cliff Robot Man character. Both of them do a great job, but Cl- or, uh, Brendan Fraser and his, <laughs> him with all the what the fucks, <laughs> he really turns saying what the fuck and oh fuck, like into an art form. <laughs> you know, it's funny because for a little while there, I thought it was just DC more trying to be more edgy and trying to catch on to, you know, a younger group of like, oh, look at this robot. He's just cursing all the time. And I thought it was just like they were making him curse so much for the sake of having him curse. But, you know, on the second watch through of this, I realized that's just Cliff. That's just that's- his character. That's him. Yep. You know, he's really- and everybody knows that person in real life, that one person who says fuck every other word. Um, and that's, you know, that's you <laughs> and that's Cliff. So, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, Brendan Fraser, it's, I'm really happy to see, even though he's just, well, no, he's not. He's not just a voice actor in this show. He may not actually play the physical form of Robot Man, but whenever Cliff's feel is on camera, that is Brendan Fraser all the mm-hmm. way from the, actually from one of the opening scenes in the show um and just to flashbacks you know he's playing himself or you know you see you see him in in, in physical form but it's just cool to see Brendan Fraser back in front of the camera i think it's really awesome yes yes i agree i agree i was so happy and what did you think of uh cliff's backstory and how he became came to be a brain in a robot body I thought it was pretty cool. Um, Actually, I did. Um, I loved, I kind of wish they would have waited a little longer in the season to actually tell you, to uh, reveal to Cliff what actually happened to him. I felt like it happened too soon in the season, but it's okay. Um, You know, he's, for those who don't know, Cliff Steele is a, you know, race car driver, you know, NASCAR style race car driver on top of the world who's in this just like unloving failed marriage where there's a child. He's unfaithful to his wife. She's unfaithful to him, you know, and they put on this front for the world as like this loving couple, as you remember from one of the early scenes in episode one, where we see him going into the race and they're like waving to the crowd and kissing each other. But she tells him to basically fuck off and die. She hopes he crashes, Yep. you know? And then while he's racing, he finds out, you know, in his headset that, she's fucking his i don't know what his position is like manager uh, or whatever. 
the rate. Yeah, I, I don't remember what they're called, and I'm actually trying to think back to the uh, Pixar movie Cars because they. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> since it's racing but i can't remember what it is but yeah basically like his call guy like he's kind of like manager pit manager let's we'll that, that sounds super official we'll go with I like that pit manager we'll go with that well she's fucking him and during the course of uh this race there's an accident that happens in front of cliff you know and where one car looks like it's about to fall on top of his car and then right from there we're under the impression now he's dead and Niles has found him, recovered his brain, and is turning him into the robot. But then we find out not too long after that, I think it's like, what, the next couple episodes, maybe less, that that's not what happened. Cliff survived that accident. And then later that night or the next night, got into an even worse accident with his family in the car. Him, his wife, and his daughter with a, with a semi-truck. And, you know, I thought that was absolutely terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're under the impression nobody survived this crash, you know, and now Cliff is just a brain living inside a metal can and he has to reteach himself everything, how to do, how to use basic motor functions and how to interact and just be as much of a person as he can be as a robot. Mm-hmm. You know, Cliff, yes, Cliff is funny. He's He is definitely the funniest character on the show, no doubt about that. Um, but, you know, especially through the first half of this season, we just see him tortured by the idea of that is that he feels responsible for the loss of his daughter, you know, and who wouldn't feel? But um, overall, Cliff's backstory, I think, is very suitable for his character. It, it completely makes sense. Brendan Fraser, you know, him between his voice acting and the other actor actually portraying Cliff on camera or, you know, the robot on camera, they both do a great job coinciding with each other, you know, and just pushing out that emotion from a face that only has one singular look. Brendan Fraser's just the way he reacts to certain certain situations and the way he portrays his voice, you know, when he when when he's when he's having a conversation with another character it just seems like you can you feel his pain you feel you you feel bad for this guy and what and what happened to him and now what he's going through so it's in some ways i think it's also kind of relatable to people it's just that you know most people don't become robots in the end mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah uh, so that's my opinion on cliff his character his backstory uh yours what do, what do you think I so out of all the characters, Cliff is the first one that we are introduced to through this process. So you're right, we see him as a successful race car driver, the marital problems that he has, and then his ultimate the ultimate accident that leads him to become the brain in the robot body under Niles's care because we kind of wake up with him throughout that rebuilding process and everything. So as we learn more about as we kind of go with cliff through this journey and at least in the first episode first couple of episodes of finding out about his family first he's told they're, they're they both died then he finds out later that it was just his wife and then he finds out later that since his wife only his wife died his daughter survived and is now being raised by that pit manager yeah. um what was his name like bone or boon or um I wrote it down um somewhere 
somewhere I wrote that down. Yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. I wanted to say Buck, but I know it's not Buck. Bump. 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 Yes. That's the name. Bump. So he's going through, so he finds all this out through the course of the, of the season and you feel the pain and anguish that he feels that he can't feel, right? Like he can't eat. He doesn't have taste buds. He doesn't, he feels, but he can't feel, he can't cry. You know, he remembers, it's almost like he just remembers what pain and heartbreak feels like because he doesn't have a heart. He's just a brain. So it's it is really heartbreaking to kind of watch him want to grieve but can't. You know, it's kind of like I don't know if this will make much sense, but try to get where I'm going with this. It's kind of like he's a vegetable that's actually able to interact. You know, like he can talk to people, he can he can show you know express himself. He can physically do things, but yet although he can control those motor functions like you said, he can't. We can't see really any any true emotion on him. He can't really express that emotion in a way where we're looking at him. We're like, oh, are you are you are you sad about this, or are you think, or do you think the situation's funny? I can't really tell. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where Brendan Fraser's like genius voice acting comes in in this because mm-hmm. he expresses that in his tone of voice, especially when he's angry. Yes. Um, when you when Cliff is angry. That is just, you feel that it's very apparent. Yeah. And then, and then you see those softer sides, that bit of sadness, regret in him. And then again, the way Brendan Fraser is able to express that by softening that tone all the way down to very, just that very sad kind of, you feel, you really, really feel for him. Like he really wants to, I think, well, I don't, I, I don't know if, I don't remember quite how he felt like he should do this, but like when he tries to take care of Jane, you know, by making her the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and the triangles. I don't know if he really wants to try to be a fatherly figure to, to Jane so much, but he feels like he should, he, yeah, he should take care of this girl who's just, you know, lost and confused and who's probably got the most tragic backstory of all the characters, which we'll get into in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it just shows that, that humane side of Cliff, you know, he's not just a robot. Mm-hmm. He's just, he might be just, he's a brain inside of a can. Yes. But in the end, that brain is just everything, everything human about him. So he's a good guy. Cliff ultimately is a good guy. Curses a lot. You know, he questions things all the time by saying, what the fuck? what the fuck? You know, he's, I think he says what the fuck more than anything in that show, but <laughs> he's, uh, he's protective of the group. He now knows that he has the mm-hmm. ability to protect people probably better than he could before because of his form. Um, but he's also very careful. Sometimes he's not so careful, but he tries to be as careful as he possibly can with those who he loves. Mm-hmm. And then he's also bashing brains of Nazis, which is yeah. great. <laughs> so, yeah, Cliff is a Cliff is a fun character. Yeah, I think Cliff, of all the characters, I think Cliff might be the most relatable character, though. Um, I can see that. Yeah, because like we see in his flashbacks of remembering Clara when she was little, like trying to use that memory of helping her to walk up the stairs to get him to you know to motivate him to walk up the stairs. Exactly. So we see we see these little flashbacks throughout the season of 
he really cares about Clara. He really cares about his daughter. There's one flashback where she's like, daddy, can we nap together? And he's like, absolutely. Like when they're that young, what parent doesn't want to be able to sit, lay down and take a nap with Mm -hmm. their little and just enjoy that moment instead of being like, Oh, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. Cats in the cradle, blah, blah, blah. You know, he, so he cares. And I think that with him having missed out on Clara's life does impact how he treats Jane specifically and how he's protective over her. I agree. I don't think he's looking to be a father figure to her, but someone to protect in a way, in a, in a way to kind of fill that void of of what he missed out in being a father. Um, And, and since they don't have that father daughter relationship and there is a bit, there's more of a, a friendship base. We really see how those two characters connect to each other and how they're drawn to each other because through the group we always see kind of maybe you know again Larry and Rita being the ones that don't get involved whereas Jane and Cliff are very gung-ho about finding Chief and kind of doing what they need to do to find Chief Um, I think this is an excellent excellent chance to segue into Jane um, Mm -hmm. because yeah I think she's got the most tragic backstory um out yeah. of the characters uh yeah because what a of the abuse that she was exposed to via her father because of her father basically yep. because of it because of the things that her father did to her when she was a little girl it basically warped her mind for lack of better words and that was just the opening tragedies to what would become Jane's life overall. Mm-hmm. But that is what set the tone to it. And we also learned Jane's real name is not Jane. She's that's just the personality she actually goes by. That's um, the that's the so apparently that's the that's at least one of the primary personalities because her. right, Kay is the little girl. We find this out throughout the season that Kay is actually the the girl that was that dealt with the, that had the abuse that was being right. abused, right? Um, and from there, her person her mind shattered and developed dissociative identity disorder, which is a very controversial diagnosis. Not a lot of people in the medical neurological field or whatever really believe in it, but I think that when a person is so young and so innocent and is gets broken like that that absolutely the mind can then shatter create these kind of alternate personalities to help deal with that trauma the grief the pain um to develop these personalities to essentially kind of help save the the host um body and mind fascinating in Kay's case that she developed 64 so Cliff has a line in the in the season, something along uh, lines that he can't imagine the kind of shit a young person would have to go through to shatter into 64 different personalities. That's a lot. And the thing is, is that, yeah, when she was a little girl and she was Kit and she went by, was more, was known as Kay at that time. That was the start of just everything. I mean, throughout throughout Jane's life man I mean get granted I mean usually the most tragic moment is the one that starts it all but mm-hmm. it's like with 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 Jane K whatever you want to call her 
over the years, it just kept getting worse and worse for her. She was in and out of mental institutions. She was homeless. Um, she was a runaway. Um, I don't know if they really de delve too deep into her being doing drugs or anything like that. But we have that one scene later on where she steals the uh, 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 the medicine from Joshua's desk and she just like injects it like it's nothing, you know, kind of like she's done this before. So there may be some drug use in, in her backstory that we don't know about. And could be same, one of the 64 personalities. We don't, it doesn't have to be Jane specifically. It You're right. It, does. it absolutely, it could be any one of them. I mean, going back a little bit to what we were just saying about, you know, with Cliff, um, you know, being, not wanting to be a father figure or may not trying to be a father figure, just trying to be there for her. I think what really brings that out in him is baby doll. Because Baby Doll is just like of all of her personalities, is the most innocent personality she has. That is just literally a child. Baby Doll doesn't know really any better. Probably can't. Probably doesn't know right from wrong. Doesn't know when she's she, she's basically the kid. You know, mm -hmm. she just goes by. She's basically a kid. Just goes by the name of Baby Doll. But um. It's interesting to see how Jane's mind, it, mind basically brings out these different personalities in her. Hammerhead, for instance, I think is the one we get the most ca get the most camera time with. Mm -hmm. And uh, Hammerhead is just Hammerhead's fucking aggressive as hell. She's, <laughs> She's a ball buster, literally. <laughs> she tried she to bust it. Cliff's balls. Yeah, yeah, and she is just uh, she she is just totally. You know, I'm not going to take your shit. I will fuck you up. I don't care who you are. Like, all right. I think it was episode. Unapologetic. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. I think it was episode two or episode three. No, we meet, we meet Jane. Do we meet Jane in episode two? I don't remember. Uh, or is it later in episode one? No, we meet her. She comes in later in episode one. All right. So it's either episode two or episode three where I think it's episode three um, where Jane's walking through the streets of the town. And she's hanging up the uh, pictures of uh, of Niles missing, the mm -hmm. missing poster. Um, and she's listening to music. And then, like, there's a mob of people behind her just screaming at her because they know she's one of the people responsible for, you know, destroying the town. And then suddenly she just takes the missing person side and staples it to the guy's head. Oh my goodness gracious! And that was that 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 I'm pretty sure that was Hammerhead all the way right oh, there. Oh, that I, was totally Hammerhead. Hammerhead move. And because uh, the way she laughed about it too, you know, because yeah, Hammerhead is not sorry. You see, I feel like we see a little bit of Hammerhead in Jane, a little bit of that, like, I don't fucking care, go fuck yourselfness, but definitely not to that level of aggression and I, prone to violence. If there's any personality that definitely stays behind a little bit, it's Hammerhead. It absolutely is. You know, and then she's got a couple of it. I mean, obviously, we don't meet all 64 personalities. Like, get get a lot of moments with them but that episode you know episode nine jane patrol where we actually go into the underground um we actually get to see the what she sees these physical forms of her personalities that actually look like you know hammerhead is like a punk with bald head with a bald head you know kind of like mine um <laughs> baby, baby doll is just like this innocent looking girl with a teddy bear and pajamas um dr harrison i found to be very interesting she's like a psychiatrist you know 
Um, Dr. Harrison, actually, although we don't get a whole lot of time with her in her uh, in that personality, I really liked her because she had the ability to basically convince you like, like like when she was when she was using a therapy against mr nobody in one of the last episodes you know i thought mm-hmm. that was actually interesting. i mean we learned there's a twist to that later on but um the way she was able to uh use that personality of hers to convince all the other inmates at the insane asylum you know that they need to watch out for the what's it called the deconstructor Deep creator. Um, that's it you know, very interesting how influential she is to people. and Because she's got that power of suggestion, you know, because they all the personalities have their own individual power. And that's basically what hers is. It's kind of similar to Karen's, our oh, psychotic. <laughs> oh, Karen. <laughs> and, and real quick, back to the underground, because, yeah, we do see a handful of these different personalities that exist within Kay's mind. And I love that some of them look like we'll just say Jane even though I'm pretty sure that's still Jane is the personality but it's like K that's still K as an adult um so they all still look like Jane K god damn it but some of them have their own look completely different look to them you know there's a fucking scarecrow down there for god's sakes like what the hell <laughs> you know who I want to know more about I want to mm. learn more about none with the chainsaw that that nun. oh my god i just i saw it i was like i want to know her story (laughs) who is she and it's like like when you think about dissociative identity disorder and the reason these people create these personalities it's because it's to help them deal with things that they themselves can't deal with so I don't know a whole hell of a lot it a lot about it, but I do find it very fascinating and very interesting. So uh, it just really makes me wonder, like, what? Because some of them do talk about what their roles are. You know, Penny Farther, her role is to run away. You know, Jane's role is to be the primary, to be up there. And we also get a little hint that she wasn't the first primary. We sure. we get a name drop of Miranda, and we learn more about Miranda in season two. Yes, we do. But. Yeah. Very um, interesting too. I can't wait to get to that. Actually, since you just mentioned Penny, I find what one of the most interesting parts of that entire episode I found is you remember towards the beginning um, of the episode, uh, Jane wakes up in just like this field, you know, and mm-hmm. it's just there. There's a bridge, there's water, you know, and it just looks nice. And Penny's like, I don't remember this memory, but this is where I come to escape, you know. And Jane's like, I don't remember this either. And later on in the episode, we learn that the uh uh that field that penny goes to escape to and that jane woke up in is the puzzle that Kay was putting together when her father came into the room and i just found it so so fascinating that she always remembered the image of that puzzle that was always in the back of her memory she may not have known where it came from but for some reason the that image just was just something peaceful to her. And that's where one of her personalities just went to escape and she just didn't know why. I thought mm-hmm. that was a very powerful, powerful thing um, in her story that we learned. It's like about. that last, it's kind of like that last thing um, before the traumatic event. Yeah. It's kind of the last peaceful, childlike, innocent thing that, although it's kind of implied that that's not the first time the dad's been abusive. 
True, true. So, but for whatever reason, it's the puzzle that has always stood out in Kay's mind as a peaceful place. And I like that there's an agreement uh, within the personalities through the, uh, that they share memories. So mm -hmm. that's, which I think is very interesting. And I like this idea that they're still all working together really for that common goal of helping Kay, helping the girl and protecting the girl. Right. Um, even though this season it's, you know, it's Jane heavy, we get more of that kind of backstory of Jane, Kay, and some of the personalities in season yeah. two, which is super interesting. And like I said, I can't wait to get to that. But Jane is definitely, she's one of my favorites, but she's also, I think, maybe the most tragic um, just because with the backstory and everything. And right. like you said, um, just kind and of the life that she lived. Right. And, you know, her story, I mean, you know, we got the funny thing about this show is I, I mentioned before how Cliff is one of the most relatable characters. And, and I absolutely mean that. I mean that from more of like a per, like, like a person trying to put their life together kind of perspective, you know, a mm -hmm. person who feels lost. But Jane is incredibly relatable to but isn't relatable to everybody but that's because not everybody will go through the things that 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 jane has gone through you know the psychological and physical abuse you know not everybody goes through that in their life but jane and the way that she has developed just in this way to try to cope and live with what's happened to her and then the downward spiral that just kept coming as the years progressed in her life there are thousands and thousands of girls and, and men who have that same, re who can relate to that, you know? It may not all be the same type of backstory, but those, down every those downward spirals and trying to come out of them is really difficult. And watching it play out on camera in, for, this, for this character and how she's learned to deal with it and her... I would say short time at life, but she keep in mind Jane's actually quite old. She was born mm -hmm. in she was, I mean, when she was K, that was 1957. So she hasn't really aged much out of her 20s since then, uh, ever since being uh, founded founded by uh, by Niles. But you know, a lot of people go through these type of a bit, you know, these type of uh, tragedies in their life, and they don't know how to cope with it. They turn to drugs. They turn to suicide. They turn to alcohol. And what I like about this is despite everything that we've seen with Jane, the one thing that in finally she learns way later on in the season, like last couple episodes, is she turns to friends. You know, she learns to really re that she can trust the group. She and that's what I really like it. She's still going to be Jane, you know, Hammerhead's still going to be Hammerhead. We learn it, like you said, in season two, we learn more about other personalities. But the fact that she's accepted that she is with a group of people who don't mean her any harm. They don't want, they're not going to fuck her over. They're not going to leave her. They're not going to abuse her. And I think we see that acceptance in her. And that's what turns her into, I think, one of the true heroes of this show. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely marvelous character. Marvelous mm -hmm. character. And very well portrayed by the actress. And I just had her name up and I just lost it. And it's Diane Guerrero. And she's a new black. 
That's right. I was just going to say that. And I love her character in that show, too. I never finished the series, but that's fine. Um, but yeah, Jane, I, I would agree. I think we all go through various levels of hardships, shitty things, for lack of a better phrase, and that it isn't always easy to be able to pull ourselves out of it. And as much as we want to run away from it, we know that we can't. There's always going to be a little voice in our head yeah. to be like, no, we there's, you gotta keep going. You gotta keep pushing through no matter how tiny it is. I think it's always going to be there. And we see that within like that secretary personality when uh, Jane kind of earlier in the first half of the season has retreated into the mind. Cause she's like, fuck being up there. It's fucking hard. You go up there, you go deal with that fucking bullshit. Right, right, I'm right. done. I want to hang out down here for a little bit. And they're like, no, no, you can't. That's not your job. You're That's not your purpose. So she's, yeah, so she has, like, literally voices telling her, like, no, you can't just give up. You have to get up there. So she does, but then she has that slip again towards the end of the season where, like you said, she takes that serum or whatever, and it dulls all the voices. So we see all the personalities laying in the field in a, like, euphoric mindset, just, like, uh, laying down. And then she eventually comes out of it and... Help yeah. saves the day and everything. So I think there is, I think there is some relatabilityness to Jane as well. Um, I think it's very easy for people to really to, at, despite you know, before we learn Jane's back, true backstory later on in the season, I think it's easy for people to still kind of love Jane. Not not just because she's oh she's this girl with sixty four personalities and some of them are pretty badass, but it's because Jane is very independent. That's good and bad because we see her pushing away the group at the bit a lot towards the beginning of the season. Hell, even have more towards the the first halfway the halfway point of the season too. But I think she's a very very loving character because you just want to you you want to help her. You want to you want her to to come out and uh, be this just she. You want her to be able to accept the help that. Not that she needs, but the help she deserves. Um, so we're all a little bit like Cliff in that in that way, because I absolutely agree. Yeah, and you know, is her story tragic? Of course, it's tragic. It's the most tragic backstory of any of our characters. But she's proven that in this show, that despite your demons, despite your voices, you can overcome. Mm-hmm. It just so happens to it just so happens to be with her in her case that the the personalities just so happen to help as well a little bit and uh, but yeah um, love Jane love her uh, uh, love the actress who portrays her she's amazing I don't think they could have gotten anybody better to do that job Mm-mm. she does a really great job of shifting between the personalities uh, in some of the different scenes like when she's downstairs like trashing uh, like where all the recordings and everything from Niles is one-on-ones with everyone and that yep. back and forth of Jane and Hammerhead and I think baby doll gets thrown in there too but she does a really good job of of portraying these literally different personalities personality types kind of seamlessly yeah she basically is from one character to another and, and it's you know, oh go ahead I'm sorry <laughs> I was just gonna say and it's just and it's great <laughs> One thing that just popped in my head, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this episode, 
with the introduction to the show. So if you remember, there is a brief snippet in the introduction of uh, dozens of vials of blood with different names on them. And I realized later on the season, those are different. Those are the different personalities of Jane. And I like the idea of Niles taking blood draws from each of Jane's personalities to see if he can get a different chemical reaction or whatever it is. I actually thought that was a really, really cool thing to throw into the intro of the show because considering who she is, yeah, I mean, who who who, who says that maybe maybe part of her DNA isn't being altered by this as well? You know, who knows? But yeah, yeah, who knows? Love Jane, but then the other female in the house we oh. have is lovely Rita. Rita, Rita Farr. Rita Farr, the actress. Rita Farr. What did you think of Rita? Rita's awesome as hell. <laughs> okay. Um, it, I, you know, it's so funny. At the beginning, I mentioned, you know, Larry's my favorite character, but then I go off talking about how I love each character, and it's so hard to pick a favorite character. It really is. It is. It is. Um, but Rita's awesome. Um, so Rita's a lot like Larry in certain aspects, you know, mm-hmm. she's, she's a little cautious, you know, she's kind of one of the voices of the group saying, are you sure we should do this? But unlike Larry, Rita's got, I think, a little more of a backbone because, um, or, and I actually say that kind of, uh, ironically because Rita, Rita turns into a blob. Mm-hmm. That's, that's her... It's not a power. It's what do you call it? A condition? Would you just call it a condition? Well, she turns into a blob because she can't control it. She hasn't spent yeah. any time trying to control and harness her abilities. But like on IMDB, she's also listed as um, you know, Rita Farr slash Elastigirl. Cause we see Maybe there's later on we'll see her being able to control it. Cause well, we see in season two, we do a little bit, though. A little bit, because, yeah, by the time season one has ended, like, Rita's arc of going from not wanting to get involved, very cautious, voice of reason, but has a bit of a backbone, so she keeps stepping out a bit more and more, a bit reluctantly, but yeah. comes around, and it's just kind of what she does. They need they need to help. Yeah. So as she becomes more accepting of the Doom Patrol's role... In the world and what they need to do to like save Niles is also her coming to terms with her blobbiness and starting to control that. Now with Rita, I kind of wish that her arc would have gone a little bit faster. I felt like it was kind of slow. She seemed maybe to me because to me it seemed like she was a bit more resistant even compared to Larry. But Larry at least had the negative spirit to kind of keep pushing him Sure. To work through things. Whereas Rita, if she started blobbing out, she just wouldn't come out of her room or she'd find a way to cover it up. And she was very self-conscious about it. Or she would destroy a town. <laughs> or she would destroy a town. Um, yeah. And then, oh yeah. And then there's like the one scene, there's like one scene where someone is about to like attack someone of the Doom Patrol, like Jane, or maybe even um, the, the living book kid. But she does real quick, like extend her arm out and it stretches out and pushes the person up against the wall and it stops them. But I don't think she did that intentionally. Like that wasn't, but that was the first time that she had the most control over her power, even though I think it was all completely subconscious. Right, um, sure. I would have liked to see her start 
getting more into like, holy shit, I can do that. What else can I do with my stretchy arms? And really kind of start working that into those last couple of episodes or the last half of the season. But her art does pick up in season two, which is, which is good. I like that. Right. Absolutely. Um, I feel like of all the people in our, in our gang, Rita's probably got the, I mean, her, she's got a tragic backstory as well. I don't want to downplay it, but she's probably got the least tragic backstory per se. And I don't want that to sound bad because it is a, it's a shame what, how, what happened to her. There we go. Sorry, kids. That's okay. That's okay. I, uh, I'll just start over with what I was saying. Um, of all the if everyone all of our backstories that we get for our for our heroes i feel like uh rita's story is not the most tragic but it's not to say that she didn't have a tra you know a tragedy happen to her the thing is is that with rita rita was very you know during the height of her career as an actress in the 1950s rita was very uh controlling selfish you know she was the star she was the star rita far and if it didn't go Rita's way, it didn't go at all, basically. We see that play out in Car- with Karma, basically, when she's on, uh, on the set of filming that, uh, filming that movie, uh, Forbidden Congo, and she demands that the, uh, the director with the one arm be removed because she sees him as an eyesore. And that just shows how her personality was back then, the type of person she truly was. And Karma came in bitter in the ass, you know, not too long after that, when she fell through the uh, the little uh, uh, the de- the dock, and uh, basically got the uh, what was it, those chemicals or whatever it was she gas or something, yeah, gas, yeah, it was something. She inhaled something, which basically caused her to start blobbing out. But keep this in mind, too, though. Rita grew up in a time where women in that field, if they wanted the good roles, they had to subject themselves to things that are basically, I'm, well, I mean, hopefully aren't as common practice as they were back then. You know, I mean, I think of people like Harvey, people like Harvey Weinstein and, you know, who tries to keep up those old ways. But that's. Yeah, fuck that guy. Um, but we learned, you know, she would try to. You remember the episode where she uh, was going to have sex with that one producer for 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 that for that lead role, and then mm-hmm. she ends up blobbing out and killing him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then his secretary comes in, and she was like, "Oh, he had a heart attack." And yes, I, like, I love that secretary. She was the best because at first she's kind of like eyeing Rita a bit judgy. Like, like she knows Sydney, like she's Sydney's secretary, you know what I mean? So she knows what a lecherous piece of shit he is. Right. You know, and, but then after all the commotion and everything, and after Rita blobbed out and recomposed and now Sydney's dead, I love that the secretary was like, you were never here, gave Rita her sweater and was like, yeah, he, the old bat, old bastard had a heart attack. Love that. Love that moment of like solidarity uh, between to women that know knew how the system was especially back then and really trying to help each other out because yeah we learned that later in Rita's story that she was basically a pimp for one of the producers um yeah we get more we get more about that in season two I remember that uh but also we got a little bit of backstory into Rita's childhood not a whole lot it was just like a brief scene but we saw that how her parents kept her out of school 
uh, from public school, uh, basically homeschooling her. They did not allow Rita to introduce herself to her favorite actress who she won some contest for. I don't remember what it was to be able to meet her. They wanted her to introduce her as her stage name, which was Rita Farr. Rita is not Rita's real name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gertrude. Gertrude, yeah. Um, I think Rita's a much... I, I'm leaning towards the latter there for its <laughs> part of the association, but, but yes. But Gertie can be kind of cute, can be a cute little name too. Gertie. But anyways. I get it, but we learned that her parents have basically been ra- raised Rita to be an actress, to be a star, you know? And you think about child stars and whose parents actually do that. And you see how they fucking turn out in the end. So I think that's kind of, that that is kind of tragic because she didn't have a real childhood, you know? Mm-hmm. She was uh, she was basically take, had that taken away from her. But one thing I like about Rita a lot is I do like Rita's personality. She's She's glowing, you know? She is sad. And she's a sad person because of the blob. I think underneath it all, Rita just sees herself as nothing but the blob, mm-hmm. you know? But Rita has proven she could be sweet, kind, caring, loving. She could be like a mother figure. She's also, I love how no matter what, no matter what, she will always try to be as sophisticated as she can be. She's just, an, she, I don't know, man. I just think she's a, she, she's a very necessary character to have in this gang. Um, she fits in very well with everybody. Yeah, yeah, I just, I love Rita. I think she's really cool. And she can eat so many buckets of chicken. (laughs) Oh my God. So really quickly here, I know we're going to touch up on this later. I just want to just quickly say this. So (laughs) Rita's eating habits are something else. You don't really see much of it in in this first season. You don't, you really don't. Except for the, you know, the chicken wing part. But in that Titans episode, oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's a, an insane combination. And yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get to that. Cause I we'll know exactly what you mean. I had the same reaction. Oh gosh. But anyway. Yeah. Rita. I, I, I adore Rita. I think she's very sweet, caring all of those things, sad backstory, um, tragic in its own way. But yeah, again, I love her growth and just kind of realizing what an asshole she was back then. And the only time she isn't an intolerable asshole to herself is when she's with the Doom Patrol. And so that's kind of what helped bring her, brought her back to want to try and help Niles save his daughter in the finale. So that in the loud Chumbawamba music. And um, her, her and Larry had such a great, great relationship, amazing chemistry with each other. Um, those two actors just played so well off of one another, I thought. Just the two more cautious people of the group just kind of always teaming up. Um, but, you know, it's kind of like Rita is Larry's... I mean, I think they're about the same age, but the way I looked at it is Rita's kind of like the older sister of the two. And she, oh. you know, they're both cautious. She would always poke Larry a little bit, like, come on, come on, come on. Yeah. Do- you know, and I love that about her. And she wasn't afraid to give Larry shit. Um, when it needed to be done. She really wasn't. But we also have to remember, Larry and Rita have been in Doom Manor longer than anybody else. They basically have been, they're, they're, they're basically family. You yep. know, those. I loved how it, towards the last episode, last episode or two, when the gang essentially split off, that Rita and Larry got an apartment together and they lived together. You know, I, I thought, 
it, it was so cool. It just shows how great of a relationship those two characters have. And, you know, she she's just one of those people that I think where I, I hope that they never decide to kill off Rita because I'll be extremely sad. Mm-hmm. I don't think they will, but I, she's one. She's a, definitely someone who I want to see for in every single every single uh, season of Doom Patrol. I hate to I hate to ever lose her. I, I agree. I absolutely agree. She is kind of that big sister, almost motherly, to kind of that female voice of reason for the group. Um, but the one that comes in and actually tries to organize the group into some sort of functioning group, booyah, cyborg. cyborg. Booyah, love it. I love that you that you came into that with a booyah. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. So, and of course, you know, he says it in the, you know, he says it in the season. So I had to go all booyah. Um, so real quick uh, with Cyborg, I have to say that the only thing that I know about Cyborg, the Cyborg character, is what I have learned from Teen Titans Go. So I don't know a lot. <laughs> I like it. And it's a very, like, I'm still waiting for him to shoot meatballs out of his hand cannon and have, you know, meatball parties and waffle parties. <laughs> I have a feeling that's not going to happen. Um, yeah, but just to, but just as kind of an umbrella statement as we move into this character, that's the only background history I know of him. And it's very, 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 very little. Um yeah. So Cyborg. What do you think of Cyborg, the Cyborg uh, portrayal in Doom Patrol? Well, unlike uh, Rita, Larry, uh, and Cliff, and I don't know, again, I don't know if Jane's actually in the comics, but unlike th- those characters, I am more familiar with Cyborg. Okay. I'm a, D- I'm a DC Comics fan. I'm a Justice League fan. Um, I am familiar with the character. Um, and one of his probably you know, several backgrounds that they've written out for him over the years. I thought the show did a very solid job of bringing this character to life for the small screen. Well, is this really the small screen anymore? I feel like that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? You know, for a series. Um, I thought the actor who's, uh, the actor who's, I think it, um, oh gosh, Javon is, Javon Wade, I think is his name. Yeah, um, it's, let's see, we'll get the spelling here one second. It is J-O-I-V-A-N. I, Joyvan? I don't, Joyvan. Joyvan or Javon? It's, I'm, I don't know, I'd have to, I'd have to hear someone actually say yeah. it. But I thought he did an amazing job as Cyborg. Much better than the actor that they cast in Justice League, I felt. But they both portrayed the character two different ways. What yeah. I really about what they did in Doom Patrol is how deep they went into the background with him, him and his father, because that is just almost as comic book accurate as they could have gotten. Silas, he's a loving father. He's a caring father. He loves his son, but he's a man of science. And although he did do what he did to save his son's life, he also did what he did in the name of science. So he had kind of split motivations there as far as why he was saving his son. But he loves him. He loves Vic. He absolutely loves him. And I never really saw him as a bad father. And I don't really think anybody does, honestly. It's just that he's a different kind of father. And a lot of this season was us watching Vic learning to accept his father. 
and accept what his father did to him and accept that his father chose him over his mother when it came to deciding whose life was going to be uh, saved, which that turned out to be very interesting later on in the season when we found out, um, when we found out more about that. Vic is just, you know, he's a rock star, basically, you know, he's the rock star of the group, you know, he's the, he's the, he's the truly the youngest member of the group, but he's not stupid. He doesn't think he's invincible. You know, he knows that he, that he knows that he's vulnerable in many areas. He's not afraid to stand up to anyone in the group. He's not afraid to stand up to a bad decision, something that sounds like a bad idea. And at the same time, he's very protective of everybody, just like just like Cliff, you know, he wants but he wants to make sure that everybody is on the same page, though. That's his thing. He's very goal oriented. You know, here's the plan. You do this, you do this, and this will be the conclusion. And when things don't go to plan, he deals with it. (laughs) He tries so hard to organize the this group of people that are super fuck they don't have their own shit together you think they're gonna have <laughs> collectively their shit together but he tries so hard and because he has like a big heart he cares and he yeah. wants them to succeed and he also cares about finding Niles just as much as Jane does as as anyone in the group does sure. he's got just as much of a vested emotional interest in finding him as as the rest of them so you know we learn that you know his father is also even though his father does love him we also learn that his father has been keeping him out from really the out the outside world you know just basically blocking him completely from any social medias we learn through you know with through his battle his ever going battle with grid um you know grid was programmed to block any social medias for him and then there's that episode where he goes on to like that tinder like site it's yeah. cash and he starts like reaching out to all these girls and these girls are just like say booyah or you know <laughs> do you know batman and things like that and it's like really come on and then i think what was actually really eye opening for him in that sequence is when he had that true that one girl who he was talking to who was like a doctor or something and Grid tapped into the feed on the bus where he could see the girl he was wor- he was uh, t- uh, uh, talking to. She's like, send me a recent photo. And he's like, you know, I don't look the same way as I did in high school. And she's like, none of us do. And he sends her the picture, you know, exposing the abs, the metal abs, you know, what such a fucking guy thing, whatever. But I think what was really sad about that is when she got, he could see her reaction when she got the picture and then just like, turned her phone off or whatever, just put it back in her purse or pocket or whatever. And you just saw that look on his face. Like nobody's going to want to love someone who looks like me, you know? And that was just, it, that was, it was kind of it was. It, it a very funny, happy scene into a, just a very, a moment of just self-loathing and just sadness. And Reality. Reality. He, he kind of yeah. had this fun montage of, like you said, all these like cyborg groupie types, and finally, oh, a possibility to like really connect with someone. And one, I didn't understand why he sent that picture of his like <laughs> cyborg abs. I maybe, like you said, it is just a, a dude thing, so that wasn't his grid coming in and being like, "Don't do this dumb human man thing. <laughs> just send a normal selfie, Jesus." Um, yeah. but it was kind of that 
sad, slow realization of, like you said, that is he ever going to find someone that's going to love him for him? And then he tells Grid to delete the app and he continues on his running, training, whatever. And so you understand why he's so devoted to being cyborg in that hero crime fighting sense, whether it's with the Titans or trying to get into the Justice League or with the Doom Patrol. He wants to help and make a mark. And he's, and I think that's why he pushes the group so hard and himself. I would agree with that completely, completely. I mean, he, he has these abilities now and he try he wants to use them to help people, you know, and you got, and I, and you got to respect that about the guy, you know, mm-hmm. but he's also limited by his programming and by, and he's so, he's so held down by what his father will, what he thinks his father will do and what his father will think. And he doesn't want to get his father involved, you know, when he's in trouble. I think mostly it's just because he doesn't want to hear it. You know, he's sick of his dad scolding or his dad, you know, saying he's going to reprogram certain aspects of, you know, of his computer system or whatever. It's he wants to be independent of his father, but he also at the same time feels like he can never escape his father. So he doesn't truly know how to do it. Mm -hmm. So seeing that battle right there is pretty interesting, but and keep in mind, I mean, even his story was fucking sad, man. I mean, he was this high, this all-star high school football player. You know, he was going to go off to college because start making a name for himself at wherever, Gotham University or wherever. <laughs> and then the explosion at the at the fact at the at the laboratory was that at Star Labs where it happened. I by the way, so. I, I think it was. Think the, so? I think so too. I don't. I think they said. I just don't remember. But imagine living. You know, you you have that you have that survivor's guilt, thinking that why did that person have to die? Why couldn't why couldn't it be me? And you know, for most of the season, you know, we learned that he's been living with survivor's guilt. You know, you know, because he feels like that his mother should have should have been the one to survive the explosion and not him. And then later on in the season, much later on, last two episodes or so, we learn mom did survive the explosion. However, she wasn't going to live unless uh, Silas would perform the operation that he performed on him, on her. And we also found out that Niles, the crooked bastard, was the one responsible for deciding between the two of them who lives and who dies. When he basically told him, we're looking at these two from a physical aspect, Vic is the one who will be able to handle you know, these nanites and these systems a lot better than a person at your wife's age. So it is very interesting to learn that even in life and death, Niles is the one still pulling the strings and making the decision, which if you're okay with it, I'd actually like to maybe start talking about Niles. Uh, cause... Um, no, because I'm not done yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, go for it. Go for it, dude. Um, I just wanted to kind of go back with regarding Cyborg and his dad. You said that it was still pretty true to kind of comic book form uh, storylines or whatever. One of the histories, one of the backstories they had given that character, which is an interesting thing to say since I don't know. I'm like, oh, one of many. Big surprise. But so throughout the course of the season, it's Mr. Nobody is 
kind of narrating the different events and they, he eventually got into the doom patrol's head and feeding off their biggest fears and their biggest fears and insecurities and everything. And he, he obviously did that with Vic as well as cyborg by, but he wasn't the one, Mr. Nobody wasn't the one that planted that seed of doubt that Vic had with his father, that distrust that Vic had is, has in Silas. But Mr. Nobody was the one that nurtured it, watered it, and let that flourish. Like, I yeah. found that, I thought Mr. Nobody was a bit more hands-on with the rest of the group in terms of having them kind of come to these different realizations of their of their history and how they, their path and origin stories and, and everything and narrating ev- certain events and episodes. But with Vic, I felt like Mr. Nobody did the least amount of work to and it was just enough to kind of feed into that seed of doubt that was all that's always been there, at least since the accident, I think, as part of that survivor's guilt. Because now it's like Vic is he doesn't trust grid because his dad put in grid. So it really all stems from trust issues with that he has with his father. And right. the way that all ended up playing out where he couldn't trust grid, he couldn't trust, he couldn't trust anything. And that is so fucking scary to not trust your eyes, your memory, and to warp yourself into such a frenzy that you nearly beat this person to death that yeah. while sure. still not completely innocent in their role and how you came to be, wasn't as bad as you had made it out to be. And even in that moment afterwards, Mr. Nobody comes in and basically admits like you, this was all you, I did very little. I just fertilized that seed of doubt and you went with it. And I thought that was so fucking sad. And for a second, I actually thought that he, he killed Silas. I thought he killed his dad. And I was like, no fucking way. I wrote down in my notes that he killed his father. Obviously, we learned that he didn't, but I, because I, I couldn't remember whether it's, if he did or not with uh, my first watch through, I was just like, oh yeah, I forgot he killed his dad. He fucking beat him to death. <laughs> oh my god. But yeah, you're absolutely right about that because Mister Nobody is, he's the narrator of everything that's going on, and he manipulates everything around him, which we learn he actually literally has the power to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, he planted that seed in Vic's mind. Like you said, just, you know, he fertilized it. And Vic just fucking went with it. He mm-hmm. believed what his eyes were showing him, you know? But and... when, you're half, when you're half human and half cybernetic, how much can you really, like, can you necessarily blame him to all of a sudden question? So he's, that seed of doubt is growing into a tree of what the fuck. And yeah. you... You don't know, like, have your memories been altered or, you know, your programming been altered? And then we do find out that, yeah, uh, Silas did lie to and did actually alter his memory, right? To remember, to make Vic think that his mom had died in the explosion. Because in the first episode, when Mr. Nobody's trying to get to them, You're and right. he sh- we see Vic... Um, after the explosion laying out on the lawn of the laboratory and is like, mom's dead or whatever. But... I think in the finale, wasn't it, where Silas admits that he did that, he changed that memory, and that's pretty much what, that's pretty much Cyborg's origin story. It's like, he had to do that. Like you said, a man of science. So while he wanted to save his son, it was also like, well, let's see what happens if we do this while we're in there. That's kind of fucked. 
<laughs> so I don't blame. I don't necessarily blame Vic for having the trust issues he has with his father because as his father's recuperating in the hospital, you know, Vic's there. He's so apologetic. He's so sorry. And then boom, this bomb is dropped. And it's like, well, now I really don't blame him. Right. Right. With him believing this entire time that his mother was killed in the explosion, just to come to find out that all, that not all of his memories are truthful. Nonetheless, perhaps the most tragic memory of you of what you think you know is the most truthful memory that you have. You know that's heartbreaking. How do you recover a relationship with someone who you are supposed to trust more than anybody else in the world? After that, you know, yeah, he he doesn't trust his dad. Obviously, I mean, there's a lot of reasons there, but that's just kind of like the icing on the cake. You know, how do you come back from that? Yep. And you know what? And we actually see the group kind of ask themselves that after they learn the truth about Niles and the role that he played in their quote accidents. So now we can talk about Niles. (laughs) So Niles, first off, Timothy Dalton was, this is, this is an amazing role for Timothy Dalton. I've never, I've seen him in a few things. I'm not like so familiar with Timothy Dalton's background but I know he's been he's been around for a while but he is god he was just so good in this role so so good the chief is probably of all the characters in the show he is probably one of the most interesting I think as far as I guess I guess as far as how non heroes go cuz he's not a hero he's not a hero he's uh he's a scientist Okay, he's a scientist. He's in a wheelchair. He is incredibly smart, but he's also incredibly manipulative. He's super convincing. He's very, he's very goal oriented. He's very, uh, what's the what am I trying to say here? He's just basically the type of guy who you really don't want to meet in your life, I think. <laughs> but then once you meet someone like that, you can never really get them out. That's the, that's the thing about him. And Niles, Niles really fucked this group up in terrible, terrible, terrible ways. At the beginning, we're, we're, we're under the impression that Niles is kind of like a savior to these people. He's there to help them. You know, he's that, he's that guy. He's like, I take in the misfits, you know, or, well, this is a safe place. You belong here. You know, that's the impression I think Niles gives off to everybody at first. And then, like you said, later on in the season, we learn Niles is the creator behind all of this. They have all been individually chosen by Niles. The only one who, the only person who wasn't individually chosen was Jane. But the thing is, is that, he put in a order to have this a person who meets these requirements sent to him for experimentation. And then eventually Jane was found. That person popped up on the Bureau's radar and was like, here you go. And he was like, wow, I made this order a decade ago. So he may have created the Doom Patrol, but he, he, he's the real monster in all of this. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So Niles is very, we yeah, we get that like fatherly sense of Niles, savior, helper. Because I mean, even in the first couple episodes as Niles is coming and going, 
they're all like, oh, dad's home. Oh, dad's leaving. Oh, dad's back. Right. You know, so there is that kind of, so that adds to that family feeling dynamic. But then, yeah, that Niles is the one that saved them. He's the reason why they're still alive and they can still have some kind of life, even if it is just hiding out in Doom Manor. But when they, once they find out that he had a hand in them becoming what they are, like, cause he didn't necessarily, he didn't like put like that gas in the water where Rita fell, but that gas was there because he was a part of the Bureau of Oddities where they sought out odd, abnormal things. And over time, because uh, Niles got lost out in the Arctic and we get that backstory. Yeah. Um, but during that time, after he's he comes back to like civilization, he finds out that the Bureau of Oddities has now become the Bureau of Normalcy. They're still seeking out the weird, the strange and unusual, but now they're killing him. Yeah. Somehow. So where was that connection from after all of that? And he comes back and he's working with the Bureau to cultivate these people because he's trying to find basically the fountain of youth or to be able to live one day beyond his daughter's life. And somehow these, the doom patrol all have some sort of immortality or just a a slower aging process, something that has extended their life beyond and still look and not, you know, and not have aged. Cliff is a robot. So that's, you know, that, (laughs) but you know, Rita, Larry and Jane, they, they're all way older than what we see. Um, so Niles is just kind of kind of conflicting, you know, I mean, and I think we see that in the group at the end when they decide to help him save his daughter. See, the funny thing is, is that I, I understand Niles' role. I think Niles, Niles is, you can't have the Doom Patrol without, without Niles Calder. You can't, all right? He is obviously the one responsible for them. And I actually, as a character, I really like the character. And the way that the character is written and portrayed, I think I think they did a great job doing it with Timothy Dalton. And he brought that character to life. But as for the character himself, I honestly think that in some weird roundabout way, even though he is not necessarily a villain, I still see an evil person in Niles. Now, I don't want that to be mis- misinterpreted because... He's obviously not really the bad guy of our story, you know, and Niles, I think, over time has learned, you know, what he has done is wrong. He understands we later on in the season, we learned that he has just been living with the guilt of what he's been doing to all these people. You know, I, I totally get that. But I guess if we're looking at it from a younger Niles per perspective, when he, you know, sure. When he, sure. You know, he didn't he 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 didn't really care about these any of these people. He may have lived with Larry and Rita, but did he really care about them? No, they were just experiments to him. Did he care about Jane? Maybe in a small sense he did, but you know, in I the think end, by the time I think by the time Jane entered Doom Manor, because like you said, she came along well after the fact and well after Niles gave all of that up, realized what he was doing was was wrong. So I think when it came to when it comes to Jane. Because I think he grew to care about Larry and Rita over time. And that's possibly why, part of the reason why he started feeling that guilt of using these people as experimental tools. And so, yeah, 
he he developed feelings, you know, caring family fe- feelings for Larry and Rita. So when Jane entered the picture, I think he was already capable of caring for these misfits. Okay, um, sure. You know what I mean? Like he may not have had a specific direct hand in how they got to be because he didn't inject Jane with the serum that gave her the powers that happened at wherever hospital she was at. Right. And then it was like, and then it's like, and then all her personalities developed power and that's the oddity. And that's then what maybe caught the Bureau of Normalcy's attention and then fit that old criteria that Niles had laid out. And they're like, here you go one more. And so maybe by the time James came along, it was his way of trying to save one more oddity. You know what I mean? Sure. Okay. I, I can get behind that. I can get behind that. <laughs> you know, I said, I used the word evil, you know, you know, really, I guess now that I'm thinking about it, especially based on what you just said, I mean, he's not really an evil person. He's a man of science. He's not like an evil, crazy Ill scientist. Intent. Ill intent. There you go. It's just that I have this big issue with human experimentation. Like I understand when, you know, when scientists need to test things like medications and stuff like that on people. I get that. But when we're talking beyond anything along those lines, you know, when we're talking about true experimentation, like what the not like what the like what happened to the Jews in Nazi Germany and how they were experimented on, I have a real issue with that. People aren't meant to be experimented on in those ways. They're not. Which is actually really funny considering that this basically part of the what this whole show's background is about. Um yeah. And we learn more about, and you know, there's the, there there's parts of the series about that where, uh, uh, you know, where we learn Mister Nobody's background and how he went to Von Fuchs for the uh, uh, whatever the fuck it was when he stepped in his machine and it just transformed him into Mister Nobody. That was experimentation, you know. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's also why I'm most drawn to this show so much is because I'm not, I don't think people does should be used as, you know, lab rats. But here's a group of lab rats who are living together and are learning to work together with what whatever's happened to them. So yeah. I don't know. But Niles, you're right. He is kind of a fatherly figure as much as he can be, I think. And uh, I like where his story goes in season two. I feel like he's because he, he's a lot more likable, I think, towards the end mm-hmm. of the season and, and, and then definitely in season two. Especially when we get to see the relationship with him and Dor- him and Dorothy, um, and how that plays out, because he's a very he loves his daughter. Um, we won't go into details about that until we do our next recording, but he he absolutely does love his daughter. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. He did have a pretty interesting backstory, though, as far as you know when he was you know living out in the Arctic or wherever he was, and he got to know the cave woman. He lived with the cave woman, and they eventually became lovers, and the power that she possessed and how he basically threw out everything that he ever knew, not even really just to study this. He wanted to live amongst it. He wanted to be part of this. I thought it was cool, but then I also thought it was a very brave sacrifice on his part in order to save her life from the Bureau to basically say he's been out there all by himself all these years learning how to survive just mm-hmm. so they wouldn't find her. And I thought that was very courageous of him to do something like that because he could have easily have just been like, oh, she's up there in the mountain, you know, mm-hmm. go get her, give me a big payday, whatever, <laughs> you know? 
So yeah, because I, I yeah he he fell in love with her, and I think that's maybe when we maybe he starts shifting to a bit of a softer Niles. Not to say that he was a total hard ass. Like we saw, he was kind of a weenie in the woods initially in the Arctic. You know, he's with that hunter guy, and he's like, "Don't go oh. wandering off and everything." He was a man of science, but again, I think that being that man of science, he had some blinders on. And then being stranded out in the Arctic and falling in love with that um, ancient creature woman, uh, ancient, I, she, she's, yeah, she's like I'm not sure. the last I, of whatever her, I just but either her, way, she's, I just refer to her as cave woman, <laughs> cave woman. So, yeah. So I think, you know, they eventually fell in love and that kind of opened his heart and living a, you know, that more simplified life. <laughs> really will put things into perspective for a person. And now knowing that the uh, Bureau of Normalcy is now hunting and killing abnormals, maybe he feels his role has shifted. Mm-hmm. And maybe by taking in Rita and Larry and initially trying to find a way to extend his life. Um, ah, shit, I lost this. But yeah, <laughs> I think... <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Um, it's like, you know what? To be honest with you, really quick. This is not a straightforward show. It's really not. There's a lot of good, lot of stuff that's going on in this show, and it's it's it, it, it's a show that deserves a second watch because you have to pay attention to the things that are going on. There's a lot of flashbacks, which I know you love your flashbacks. But I know uh, what you mean about how they can how especially i think within this series and in this season they can be kind of confusing because uh real quick one of my favorite episodes is the therapy episode and Uh, so we get each we get like kind of a day of or the morning for each of the different characters so each character it starts off with a flashback um to the to their before times but then we we're not set exactly in the present we're flashed forward but still back to like eight o'clock in the morning and we follow that character through that next few hours and then we move on to the next character and we get that same lineup and format so and again with characters that aren't aging flashbacks can be confusing because there's no markers absolutely absolutely um but no it's uh it's still it's still a great story though i mean and therapy patrol is actually a really fun episode too because it reminded me of the sabrina episode where uh the tarot with the tarot reading yes yes me too like it's like uh, like every single flash like even though they didn't focus as long on those flashbacks as they did on the scenes in uh sabrina i was just like oh i was like i'm getting total vibes from that episode right now so fun that's hilarious (laughs) that's awesome okay so we took a little break we're back and we're gonna go ahead and discuss maybe my out of the non doom patrol patrollers maybe my favorite character only because he is played by the brilliant Alan Tudyk, who is also my birthday buddy. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, we're just both a couple of leaves leaves in the wind. Blech. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, blah. <laughs> so sad. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Mr. Nobody, I don't, again, not familiar with the comics or his backstory, but I loved the way Alan portrayed the character, the way he narrates the season, yeah. the way he breaks the fourth wall. That's always a lot of fun. 
And sometimes in his like rants or monologues because of like the voice that he's using when he wasn't on camera, I almost got like Mark Hamill Joker vibes. Dude, totally. I, and I know exactly what you mean by that too. Yeah. yeah. I, would, I would agree. I wonder if that was done intentionally. I I have no idea, but I, at first I was just like, no, like it's, did they just yeah. get him to narrate what is happening? I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and you know what? His character is a lot of fun, too. For a villain, you should not, as the viewer, have that much fun with a villain, okay? Like, in the end, we're not really rooting for him. But are we really rooting against the guy at the same time? <laughs> I mean, it's just... It, really? It's Alan Tudyk does a great job portraying Mr. Nobody. He really, really does. I like how he has like his own little void in the white space. And, you know, it's kind of like his own little world. Um, so I like that. I love how he's able to literally narrate and manipulate everything around him. Yes. That's like his evil. That's like his power. Um, and it's really, really interesting because everything that he says that's happening is happening but only because it's happening because he's saying it's happening, basically. And none of that is more true than at the end, the last episode, when the cockroach and the rat and the mouse start, uh, start making out with each other. <laughs> Ezekiel and Admiral Whiskers. That's and it. Ezekiel is voiced by the brilliant Curtis Armstrong, a.k.a. Booger from Revenge of the Nerds. Uh, he was also in Supernatural as... See Metatron, the voice of God? I don't remember, but I love when he just like pops up and shit. Yeah. So it was it was a delight to just even hear that voice and then be like, he's voicing a cockroach. He's voicing an insane like a cockroach who Mr. But nobody uh convinces is God, nonetheless. Yeah. That is so funny. That is so funny. Um yeah, Mr. Nobody is just a a really awesome character. Um, probably one of the best villains that I've seen portrayed on screen, big or small, in a very long time. And just the way he works himself into the head of every single character on this show is just insane. Yeah, he's all like, Gideon, ha, ha, ha. But in the end, he's a very, he, he's a scary dude. And the things he can do. And I find it interesting that they fear him as much as they do because he was not really a well-respected villain in the world of villainy. Because um, if we remember, when we got a little more of his backstory later on, was his name <laughs> was like Eric something? Eric Mulder? Well, last name was like the Mor Morden. Morden. Because yeah. there was the one dude, Steve Larson, that wanted to get the Morden when they went and finally found like the Nazi yeah. experiment place or whatever. Okay. Um, I don't remember the first name. That's a, I think it was Eric. I might be wrong about that. We learn later on in the season, you know, when we get more of his backstory, uh, that he was fired by the brother. What was it? By for the Brotherhood of Evil or whatever it was called. Something like that. Yeah. <clears throat> his plans weren't evil enough. I keep thinking of Doctor Evil when I <laughs> when I think about that. He's like, you're not evil enough. You're quasi <laughs> evil. The <pinky> goes up. <laughs> And like he had the idea with the big world with the robots, you know. Oh my god, it's like it was it was genius. It was genius. Um, but then like we find out that 
the whole reason, the whole reason he's doing everything he's doing is because he got dumped. Yeah. Oh, I can't remember her name. I wrote it down, but I don't feel like digging through my notes right now. It's like a, like Amelia or something like that. I don't know. Sure. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Some old name. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, dude, he was a, he's just a fun guy to watch on screen. But when he's doing truly evil shit, he's doing some truly evil shit, especially what we talked about before with how he just slightly manipulated Vic's memories. I mean, that is just, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Well, and we find out too that he, this isn't the first time that Niles or any group under the name Doom Patrol has tangoed with Mr. Nobody. Because we do get that one episode where we find out that there was an actual superhero group of the Doom Patrol that yeah. um, Niles was trying to to form and everything. And um, not to get too deep into that episode, it is a really good episode. It's there's a you know a bit of sadness because we see what happened to these older superhero types that, whose right. minds have basically degenerated and everything and. But yeah, he's so he's been around and he's been fucking wish it for a while as this omnipresent Mr. Nobody. And he's a really and I don't think anyone else could have portrayed Mr. Nobody like Alan Tudyk has, especially if that's the personality of Mr. Nobody. If he is kind of that way. Um, Based on what you what you just said a minute ago, though. The only other person I could see playing him would probably be Mark Hamill. Because I think Mark Hamill and Alan Trudick share common acting skills with each other. Um, Especially when they're portraying bad guys. So I think that Mark Hamill probably is the only other person I think could pull off that role. But you know what? Honestly, I wouldn't want to see him do it. No. No, no. No. Yeah. He's so he's genius and I like the and I like the character and I like that at the finale we find out he's like in a way he's failed in his villainy. You know, he he hasn't broken the Doom Patrol and Niles quite as well because he, then he's reading like a quote review of Doom Patrol um, again, that fourth wall breaky and he gets all depressed and wasted on like blue UV vodka. Cause he's got that little bit of blue mustache. Oh God. Yeah. And that's when he decides on the to toilet. Yeah. And that's when he decides to team up with Ezekiel and, uh, Admiral whiskers. Cause then he realized that, Oh, it hasn't. And then twist Ezekiel and Admiral whiskers are like giant size. They're mm. in the painting. Cause they're trying to save the daughter and Danny. Danny Street. Yeah. Love Danny Street. Yeah. And uh so they're they all get trapped in like in the painting. And Mr. Nobody has completely lost control of his trio of misfits or his other two last minute cohorts. Right. Until he and so he's like he's all depressed in the in the burlesque bar and he's like, I was supposed to be the villain. How am I not the villain? So I thought that was kind of a fun, right. interesting way to take the series finale sure. putting mr nobody in a position where he essentially has to work with the doom patrol yeah and and really and so by he did not want to do it all i mean it's the exact opposite of what he was going for and that is actually a very interesting thing to point out because 
first off, what a twist where even in, even in, though he had to do it, you saw the resentment in his face, especially in the conversation he was having with Rita. He didn't want to do it, but he knew that if he didn't do it, that Admiral Whiskers and uh, Ezekiel were just going to, well, they're going to destroy him too. And he didn't want that. But yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I would like to get to, I, I, w- I would like to get more of him later on in the, well, as the series progresses. I don't remember if he was in season two. No, not much. I think, I think a little bit, maybe in the first couple of episodes, just because they still have, he's still trapped in the painting, him in that freaky beard eater, eater fuck. Hunter. Beard. So gross watching him eat drain hair. Oh my God. The beard (laughs) hunter. It's hilarious. I, I, disgusting but (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's kind of how i got especially when he pulled out niles's beard hair gunk out of the sink (gasps) oh gross nasty (laughs) so yeah mr nobody a a very fun villain um fun villain (laughs) non-villain but and again great performance by Sir Alan Tudyk. I'm going to put a sir because he deserves it. There you go. So as we kind of start wrapping up our convo, there's a few side characters, a few other side characters and kind of some maybe stray observations that I personally want to bring up. And we'll I'll give you that obviously the chance to bring up your own as well. But some of the more notable side characters, uh, Danny, the street, uh, gender queer street with they them pronouns. A safe haven for people that just don't seem to fit in. And I loved the story of um, Morally Corrupt. We got just that little bit of her story, and I loved it. And I thought it was great. Flex Montello. uh, Best Flex is his smile. So I know you kind of wanted to to gush on Flex because you got a man crush on him. So take it away. Where do I begin? <laughs> Where do I begin? It's fucking up. Here's this just big, built, amazing looking, I'll say it, all like what you would imagine it, kind of like an all-American physique superhero would be, but in a leopard speedo. Okay. <laughs> and he wore that shit everywhere. What I loved about Flex is that he just walked around in his little tight speedo short things, no matter where he went, and it was totally acceptable. <laughs> Even back in the 1950s, it was totally acceptable because people knew who he was. Flex had the most, had the coolest superpower I think I've ever seen. He flexes, something happens. And let's get it out of the way. Let's talk about it. The, the best scene in the entire series that involved Flex is when he meant to open up the, 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 the portal to the white, to, to the white space, but instead... <laughs> He makes every single person on Danny Street, ex- with the exception of Cliff, have an <laughs> orgasm. <laughs> and it was, oh, I laughed so hard, Jen. I laughed so so hard. I like I I, I what happened? So I was writing notes as it happened, and I, once it happened, I laughed, and I accidentally brought my pen across the page. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, such a hilarious, ridiculous, kind of out of left field scene, and. And that's one of the things I love about this show is we have these like bits of just utter ridiculousness. Flex a muscle, cause a whole street to orgasm <laughs> in the pants. James, look what she says. We're fucking cocky, man. 
and Cliff. Larry. Oh, Larry. Larry's all like, oh, oh. Loved it. And then Cliff just wanted to belong. He just wanted to be part of it. He was just like, oh, 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 because Cliff can't feel anything. So. And then he even starts doing like humping motions. <laughs> Oh, I'm gonna die cracking up just thinking about it. And Rita, when Rita started her leg all blob, and then it got really tight. I loved and, it. I it, again, it just... about, what's the uh, one more thing? The funniest part about that is even when it was all happening, even to everybody else in the village, like even the beard hunter was there, and he was looking at that guy's beard next to him, like he wanted to eat it. Flex kept doing it, and it was like it was like a like a like a minute and a half long scene. It's like. Dude, you have to see what's going on around here. Oh, <laughs> uh, I just yeah. had to gush about that scene. It's so, so good. But yeah, I it love Flex. It is such a great scene. And, you know, again, with those random bits of just ridiculousness. So kind of that scene, the the, the loose butts scene. So butts, oh, yeah. my God. The episode where they're in the donkey's ass. Just all these weird kind of like, what in the fuck is going on? But it pulls you in because you're like what's gonna happen when they're in the donkey's ass yeah how are they gonna get out of the donkey's ass how many episodes are they gonna spend in the donkey's ass luckily <laughs> the one and then yeah because then we've got like the beard eater hunter uh, beard, beard i know but he's gross and he's just he is gross he, he, <laughs> he is gross but interesting enough i actually thought his powers were very unique because I've never seen something like that portrayed. I just, I'm glad they went about it the way they did by making it look really disgusting because you can't make somebody called the beard hunter who can eat people's hair and then gain sense of who they are, where they are, and just everything about them. You can't do that in a very friendly way where it's not going to make you want to regurgitate, you know? Absolutely. Uh, so I, I actually did like the Beard Hunter as a character. Disgusting, yes, but what he did in the short time he was on the show and how he was able to really fuck with Cyborg, that was pretty That was pretty cool. It was pretty neat. I will admit that that is a very interesting, unique, and powerful superpower. And we don't see that because, yeah, how in, in a lot of superhero stuff, because how do you do that without making it super gross? Yeah, agreed. But, but with with the beard hunter and him eating um, Niles's sink hair, so that hair. So in the episode that we meet the beard hunter and he does all of that, it leads him to Danny, and leads him to the basement where we see someone in a wheelchair but in a Niles mask. Yeah. So my question to you is, how did is it just uh, like familial DNA that led him? Because we find out at the end of the season that it's Niles's daughter that was in that basement. So was it, so even though he ate Niles's hair and because Niles is couldn't get to him because he's trapped in the white space and that doesn't register on anything. So then the next person that matches that DNA would have been the daughter. And is that then how he found the daughter? Cause at first I was like, well, if he ate Niles's hair, it would have led him to Niles. Right. Well, because Niles and his daughter obviously shared the same DNA. Right. And we consideration. I don't want to spoil it, but her physical aspects about his daughter, she probably shares that with Niles. Maybe the hair is what led is why he got led there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't know how to really put that without really spoiling anything about her daughter. Because and then yeah, because we, we only. 
Yeah, we only get we. I don't even think we see the daughter at the end of the no, first we season. See the back, we just see the back of her head. So um, then, my other question was, um, again, no season two spoilers. At any point, was the daughter living in Doom Manor, where then maybe some of her hair may have ended up in the drain, and that's what led him to her? What led Beard Hunter to her? Because that is never addressed in season two, so that's not. No, but not. But no, I don't think so, because Niles does make a uh, comment about how when she was little, uh, he left his daughter in the care of Danny because he knew it was the only place that she would be truly safe. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go ahead and say that if she lived in Doom Manor, it may not have been long enough to make that kind of difference. And plus, also, it would have been so long. Well, no, she's older than she looks, too, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just like all the other characters. Um, Considering that aspect of it, maybe because of her age, maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe even before Larry and Rita ever got there, because they didn't know he had a daughter either. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, maybe if she just had to spend, like, a night or two at the manor until he could find Danny, get in touch with Danny. You know what I mean? Fifty-year-old hair out of the drain. <laughs> That's the thing. That's getting me. I know. Um, maybe they have terrible piping at a at a Doom Manor. I don't know, but don't terrible know. plumbing. Um, speaking of, we keep dropping Danny's name. You know, Danny in itself, totally awesome character. Um, Danny is just an amazing character, and there's no physical aspect per se to Danny. Danny's a street. Mm-hmm. But Danny is a street that can talk to you, can interact with you. You can feel the emotions in Danny's words. For those who probably don't understand what we're saying by that, is Danny can basically manifest words uh, just kind of like out of thin air or just rearrange letters that are on like a window to spell out what uh, what they want to say. Danny is very, very loving and such an awesome character and such an accepting character. The way Danny brings in, like you said, just this, this it, Danny is a place where people who don't belong go to belong, you know? And I just love that. I just, I love that in general, not even just in Dan, not just cause not just Danny, but just, we don't live in a world like that. And it sucks. It's 2021, mm-hmm. you know, we're still talking about, gay rights and now we're taught now all this shit about you know you know transgenders not being able to play in the in play in sports and things like that and it's insane it, it, it's absolutely insane what we're living with right now and how we're still doing it and i don't think there's ever going to be an end to this ever no but i love the idea that you know what if you don't belong out in the regular world here is a place where you will fit in you will not be judged you will not be harmed you will be loved you will be accepted and this will be this will be a good place you know this is a good place for you the thing i found the most tragic about danny though is that in order for danny to live the party had to continue had to go on now that i found to be very sad because a lot of the people in danny were very scared too and danny was constantly on the move because the bureau of normalcy wanted danny and they were constantly on the pursuit of danny so Imagine having a, you're living in a place where you know you're accepted, but you're still living in fear. But you also have to put on a face so this place that is taking you in will not go away. And it's a very interesting concept. But 
when the Bureau of Normalcy finally finds Danny and confronts the town, morally corrupt, basically, I, I believe kind of in that moment takes on a manifestation of Danny. It's kind of like Danny's words pouring out, you know, mm-hmm. but you hear them out loud. Uh, morally corrupt is speaking for the entire community of Danny. And I I just thought it was a absolutely beautiful scene and morally whooped the fucking shit out of that guy. In oh my platforms. God. In platforms. In platforms. Those were what, like four inch, five inch heels or something? They were insane. I remember her being that tall when she came into Danny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, I'm watching her kick his ass and I'm like seeing those big shoes. I'm like, I think I just sprained my ankle. Yeah. And I love how uh, after we get to meet Flex, I love how Danny and Flex knew each other. Mm-hmm. And then when Flex told Danny that, you know, uh, his wife was uh, his wife was killed. Danny was like, I'm so sorry. You know, just like here is, you know, this street or how whatever you want to call Danny. It doesn't matter. Presence. Uh, presence. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, this presence that is so just emotionally on point with all of its citizens and just with people in general. And Danny is a place of love, acceptance, and comfort. And Danny gave that to every single resident that was there. And even to someone who, someone like Flex, who hasn't been to Danny in so long, Danny was like, dude, welcome back. It's good to have. And even embracing Beard Eater, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Like Beard Hunter's there. It's like, what the fuck is beard hunter doing there and beard hunter's like dude danny took me in i love it here yeah he's you like know? i don't do that anymore he fell off the wagon but real quick how funny was it during the flex scene with the orgasm but danny <laughs> spelling out oh 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 oh, uh-huh. oh and you know the fire hydrant just shoots out of the car <laughs> oh that was great Love it. Um, back to Flex real quick with uh, with regards to Dolly. His oh, that was so sad. We didn't get a lot of Flex and Dolly, but yeah. we got just enough to know that they were head over heels crazy in love with each other. Yeah. So after the bureau kidnaps Flex and locks him up for all those years and brainwashes him to the point where he can't remember, and then basically does some sort of brain manipulation to Dolly once they're reunited and that moment where they recognize each other. Cause flex has lost all sense of who he is. He's, he's patient seven two two at this point and he just wants to watch his programs. Yeah. But the second she comes in and starts and like speaks or giggles or something, he's yeah. out of it. And he's like, I'm flex Montello. You're, you're Dolly, my wife. And then she comes back and then they embrace and then they kind of, then she gets Thanos. That's what I said. I was like, and then Dolly got dusted. Uh, but, you know, it's so sad, too, because, you, you know, when they see each other in that moment, she's so much older now, you know? You know, time has passed. But at the same time, all all these years, she's been basically a product of the Bureau of Normalcy. But it, even in that moment, Flex didn't see old age. He didn't see wrinkles, silver hair. He didn't see a woman whose figure has definitely changed. He just saw Dolly, and that's all that mattered to him. And then once that got taken away, he flexed, oh. and there were sparks flying everywhere. You could see the emotion. It just, you know, it's kind of a little ridiculous to say this out loud, but when you're watching it, it makes sense. When you see him flexing his muscles, 
and screaming. And then there's just everything in that room that had electricity power to it was just being short circuited and power and sparks flying everywhere. That's just the pure emotion of how I don't even know how to put it. It was sad, dude. It, it was, was sad. Well, because he always called Dolly the light of his life. And now that she, once she dusted, once she Thanosed away and he flexed, his light was gone. So in his anguish, he extinguished all the nearby lights. And even on the bus ride on the next episode where they were, where they eventually ran into Danny, you know, Mm -hmm. he was just sitting there staring out the window and Larry's trying to talk to him, trying to kind of like make him feel a little better, give him some comfort, which is total Larry right there. Flex is just... He's taken it with stride, but at the same time, you know, here's a man who's just lost so much of his life. He finally gets it back. And the one thing that mattered to him most, you just see that emotion on his face. Like, I'm going to get where he's like, I basically say, I'm going to get these motherfuckers for what they did, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Uh So, but also uh, one more thing I want to add about Flex and Dolly. When we first meet Flex, very first meet Flex, very first scene with him. I love the idea of Flex being that kind of hero, although this is how he got fucked over. I just love the idea of him being that kind of hero who will rescue a kitten out of a tree. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like so 1940s, 1950s, like kind of that. That's a little American. Wholesome. It's like a, like it's a little. I I see that see that's a little Americana. You know, the firefighters going out and getting the tree out or getting the kitten out of the tree. You know, I love I love that image, and I just love that Flex was that guy to who would do that. But mm-hmm. in the end, that kitten ended up uh, uh, shooting a light out of its face. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bad kitty. <laughs> um, um, character. One more. Oh, oh, go ahead. Do you mind if I bring up a character? Sure. Okay, this is another bad guy, but we haven't talked about him. I want to talk about Darren Jones. Oh, okay. 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 I saw your face. I think you thought, okay, okay. Okay. Well, we could get to that. I think. I, <laughs> but really quick though, what did you think of Darren Jones? What did you think of the character overall? Oh, I loved him. No, he was a giant piece of shit. <laughs> he is a piece of shit. But I, lo- I like that there's like this head of this just evil government agency who's responsible, who has to be the face. I love that this guy was the face. And even though he's a piece of shit, the actor who played him, I thought, did really good at being a piece of shit, mm-hmm. you know, being this guy who's been in Larry's life for so long, you know, and how he's responsible for just the experimentation on hundreds, if not thousands of individuals who just because they are di- they are different, they suddenly become this subject to experimentation. I love that they, the show put a face to that. Um, and even though Darren Jones wasn't like the, you know, he wasn't in the entire series. If you remember the episode, I, I believe it's the one where they go to the school that where the old Doom Patrol was. And Larry walks in the room and sees the guy with all the needles in his hands. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah. And so that was young Darren Jones right there. And um, I, I just thought it was a good character to have. I mean, as far as bad guys go, Mr. Nobody, amazing. Beard Hunter, something else, but he was still good. But when we're talking classic bad guy, you know, just your classic guy who you hate, Darren Jones was a really good person to bring on screen for that. And I really did enjoy him. 
I, I didn't enjoy the things he did, but I really enjoyed that kind of character being in this setting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're right. We need to have that kind of character when we have a, a government agency like the the Bureau of Normous, Normalcy and when we have a facility like the Ant Farm where they house all the um, abnormal things that they have captured over the years and experiment on. Um, I I wasn't really super blown away or disappointed. It, it, he's kind of like you said, he's just like that classic baddie, government baddie that yeah. has no qualms with dealing with because he views people these folks as less than they are not even humans in his eyes and therefore totally worth being able to experiment on so so yeah it's he's obviously an easy character to hate you know like with mr nobody because he can be so charismatic and just kind of fun you find yourself kind of liking the guy why is, why is it that when you sit when, when you hear Mr. Nobody, you can't help but just put a little bit of a smile on your face? You know he's the bad guy, but it's like- I, I think that's Alan. <laughs> that's Alan for you. Yeah, right. One of my favorite voiceover uh, works that he has done. He's the voice of the really dumb chicken in Moana, so all he does is make clucking noises. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> and Hey is one of my favorite characters. I truly think Hey is the hero of the movie, but that's another podcast. Um, <laughs> um but so right, right. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, now nah, just to kind of wrap up, yeah, Darren Jones, easy character to hate, a common character we see in a lot of these superhero types. You know, we saw it in WandaVision. We see it in like the Hulk with General Ross and everything. So we see that guy. That's the yeah. Right. So Absolutely. it was just, it was, yeah, it was easy. So I didn't really give too much thought to him. But one yeah. character that popped up that not only did I, <laughs> I think I know who you're going to say, but I want you to say it. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. All right, all right. So, yeah, we get a little bit of him. He pops up only in a couple of episodes. And between the character itself and the actor that portrays him, Willoughby, played by Mark Shepard from Doctor Who and Supernatural was that he was just kind of a fun addition, this wizardy type, sorcerer type that knows Niles. And can he be trusted or can he not be trusted? Because that is not at all who I thought you were about to say. That is not even close to what I thought you were going to say. But yes, good call. Um, so yeah, just a him? quick... Nip or Kip is the... It's, call like, something for sure. it's like Kipling or... Something like that, but I think his last uh, yeah. name's Willoughby. Yeah, but I really liked him. I really, really liked him. You know why he? So I'm a huge Constantine fan, and he reminded me a lot of John Constantine. Oh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. So just a kind of a quick shout out. He's like I said, he's not in a whole hell of a lot, but I hope that character starts popping up more as long as you know as the series continues, and hopefully they'll sprinkle him in because I don't think he pops up in season two. I don't remember, but. I don't remember either. But now, yeah, my quick shout out to Mark Shepard and Willoughby. Yeah, he did a great job, dude. He did a great job. And uh, he was in Firefly. Now, another character whose name, I don't remember this character's name. I never wrote it down. Why, I don't know. But I love this character. If you remember the young gentleman who uh, was in uh, the Von Fuchs facility with our heroes, who ended up having a raptor on his neck. Steve Larson. <laughs> Animal, uh, vegetable, mineral man. <laughs> vegetable, mineral man. Okay, so 
this guy is just fucking hilarious. So, okay. He runs when he tries to rob the convenience store and the rap his raptor head starts biting his real head. Oh my god. Like it's such a weird thing to just throw into an already weird care weird show full of weird characters, you know? Here's just this out in the distance. He won't even matter, but every now and then we're just going to throw him in as an easter egg on the television, mm-hmm. you know? It was it's just cool to see something like that portrayed on TV. I thought that was a lot of fun because after that, you know, with the Nazi puppets and everything where we first meet Steve Larson and he wants to get the Morden, since the Doom Patrol destroys the facility while Steve Larson's still in one of the tanks, that's I think how he came out as this weird mutated fucking thing. And you kind of think that's going to be it. You know, right? You're just like, oh, this one-off, whatever. But I yeah. loved how they sprinkled him in the background, in the news reports. We followed his crimes. We followed his, because then he goes up to trial. And I think we get more of him in season two, still in that background of news reports. So oh, nice. I love that he isn't just, like, forgotten. Right. And they right. still kind of, like you said, and again, it's that ridiculousness that that's within this show that makes it fun and more lighthearted along with those kind of Arrowverse shows, the, the more fun shows versus with that mix of that dark and gritty. And so, what's nice is actually a comparison because you take a show like Arrow, Arrow, Arrow's good, but Arrow takes itself way too seriously. Like it, it, it really does. A show like this, it's a serious drama, but it knows how to have fun with itself. The writers and the show, the showrunners knew how to have fun with these characters. And despite how tragic every single one of their backstories are, they don't put you in a position where you should really feel like, okay, I'm going to be in a deep, mellow ride there for the next 15 episodes. You know, I'm just going to, so it's going to be nothing but sad shit. Mm-hmm. It's a fun, exciting show. You know, a lot happens. And, you know, we could easily probably make this made this show last another four hours just talking about it episode for <laughs> episode, which actually we didn't do because uh, that would take forever. Um, but there are so many standout moments in all of the episodes, things that we probably won't even be able to cover here. I, I was hoping we'd have time to maybe even just hit on some of our more favorite or standout episodes or moments. I mean, maybe we could maybe we could do like a part two amendment to this one or something, but um, cause I, I want to get to the Titans episode where we are originally first introduced to the doom patrol. The show Titans had an episode called doom patrol. It's like the third or fourth episode that was supposed to be the backdoor pilot to the doom patrol series, but the show got shipped around and didn't get picked up right away. And right. doom patrol, at least the finale aired May 24th, 2019. And then Arrowverse Part 5 of Crisis aired January uh, 2020, which I can't even believe it was that recent. I feel like it was so much longer ago. And I only bring that up because uh, I only bring up Arrowverse and Crisis because of how that crossover event ended and how it kind of plays into the Titans and Doom Patrol. Wasn't there a small brief moment in that episode where they actually show the Doom Patrol dancing uh, outside yes. of Doom Yeah, okay. I thought yep. I remember that. 
So a quick spoiler for the Arrowverse Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, major crossover events. So what happened is that uh, Arrowverse broke broke the multiverse. All the other Earths vanished and disappeared and collapses. The antimatter and blah, blah, blah. Or antimonitor. The, the death of Oliver Queen gives birth to the new multiverse. And that's where we see in a voiceover as Oliver McQueen, Oliver Queen is um, speaking, we see the flashes, we see Green Lantern's planet from the Green Lantern movie. We get Doom Patrol, we get Titans, we get a clip of Swamp Thing. So it was almost like with Arrowverse, that was, it almost felt like that's how they were going to, DC was finally going to try and tie in all the DC titles and and everything so but what did you think of the titans episode with the doom patrol so i just watched that this morning as you know i thought it was actually kind of cool um so first i like the idea of beast boy being one of the original members of the doom patrol i thought that was pretty cool i this is why i don't think jane may have been part of the comics is because she wasn't in that episode um i didn't realize she wasn't going to be in the episode but neither was cyborg that's true, too. That's true, too. Good point. You know, it's not a whole lot from the episode truly stood out to me as far as it being like, you know, having some sort of like major plot that's going to lead into the series, to the to what's the now known Doom Patrol series or anything like that. But I did like the idea of, be, you know, Beast Boy bringing Raven in to the to meet the Doom Patrol. You know, he's a, he's all, like, trying to protect her, like, keeping her secret while he, while she's there, you know, putting her in the closet, and Cliff's just, like, opens up the closet door, and Cliff's all just like, he's gotta get the fuck out of here, the Chief's gonna be back, the Chief's gonna be back. I did love, I think I messaged you uh, while I was watching it, saying, uh, uh, the, first, my fr- the first thing that I'm taking from this episode is that I want Larry to cook for me. Because when Raven is watching Larry cook, he's having such a great time doing it, he's making all sorts of foods. All oh, sorts of foods, but you now see those steaks. Oh, dude, oh my God, those things. I don't want steak. I know, for sure. Jesus Christ, <laughs> I just had some cookies too. I'm still hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that they did that. They recasted the the uh, the chief. Um, I didn't like the guy who they had portraying the chief. I just didn't like him. Also, I didn't like the way how they had the chief portrayed in that episode either, as this "Don't you ever betray me" ki- again kind of guy. Less fatherly. Like, yeah, I didn't like that. Um, I didn't get that Timothy Dalton, we're going to be all right kind of vibe, you know? It, it's almost like, the, yeah, it's almost like the Titans, Niles, kind of falls more in line with that villain evil, like you were talking earlier about Doom's Nile, Niles. Um, oh, geez, I wonder if me saying that had any influence uh, because I watched that episode today. Because when I watched that episode today, he totally struck me as a villain. As yeah. a villain. It, again, the experimentation that he was going to do on Raven. Raven said, no, I don't want to do this. And he's like, hey, we're going to do it anyways. And then Beast Boy, you know, is like, you know, let her go. And then starts to turn all green and uh, and all that. But I'll say this. It has definitely gotten me in that one little episode has gotten me interested in maybe checking out more of Titans because I've never watched it before. This is the first uh, first episode I ever watched, and I did something that's totally against my play, my rule book is I went in after the first episode and watched something else. So that's your fault, but that's okay. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, I, I liked it, though. But again, 
not too much in it really stood out to me as it right. being like some sort of like oh you know something that's gonna make way into a much larger picture later i did however really like the part where uh raven's brother and starfire are walking through the manor and like i i can't remember if it's the electricity that's going all haywire or if it's a thunderstorm but like you see rita standing behind them like she looks all normal it flashes black, then it goes back, and she's all blobby, and she's like, "Get out!" I'm like, "Oh shit!" This, mm-hmm. That was kind of that was kind of neat. I'm also again, glad that. Okay, finished. I was just gonna I was just gonna say one more thing. I'm also glad that they decided to uh, go in a different direction with Le- with Larry's uh, gauze that he has around his face because in that episode the gauze look a little dirtier, but also there's a slit for the mouth. And I'm glad they decided to go against that because I feel like not being able to see him moving his lip is more effective for his character. For in this one episode, you can see that his gauze moving up and down in the middle because they put the slit there. But I'm really glad that they decided that they were going to change that because I feel like it is a lot more effective when you don't see that, see him actually moving his lips. Um, I agree. I, I liked the changes that they made to the Larry to Larry's character from Titans to Doom Patrol. Larry is also in, in Titans. He's voiced by Matt Boomer, but the body of Larry is played by Dwayne Murphy. So a completely so they kind of went the route of Robot Man, and Larry just seemed happier, right? Or maybe cooking okay. just makes him really happy. I mean, he was dancing to music, you know, cooking. Yeah. He, he seemed to be in the zone, you know. And I thought it was funny when he was saying that that you don't want to fight me and you don't want to see what I'm really like or something like that. And I have a feeling that that was kind of an underlying reference to the spirit. But maybe yes. at the time, the, the writers didn't know what they wanted to do with that. So they made Larry seem threatening, but we didn't see anything come from that in this episode. So I, I have a feeling maybe the spirit was thought of after that um, to give off that other side of him that maybe we come to learn to come to learn about Larry. Watched it. I'm glad I watched it. Yeah, I I, I'm glad you did too, and I'm glad that uh, I was able to kind of get your take on it because I was really curious, mostly about the portrayal of uh, Niles because it is a pretty stark difference between uh, Timothy Dalton's Niles. Yeah. So, because he does definitely come across as more cold and science first, people last. But yeah. the Doom Patrol in Titans still held affection for him, and they were a lot more hands-on with when he was trying to rescue uh, that someone that he happened upon that he brought in, and they were trying to rescue her. And she made it, the room all cold. She was like a an ice her powers yeah. were ice or something, and Raven helped. I found it interesting so the, that Niles could walk in this episode. But did you catch that um, they said that uh, Niles was able... See, the way they said it made it imply that he's he's always he's able just, he's able to walk like and not walk. Just to walk again. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. So, so. I don't know. I kind of just took that as there's, he's always doing experiments or finding ways to better himself, maybe. So yeah. then, you know, by the end of the episode, they're like, well, he, can't, he fractured his spine again or he can't walk again. So that they would take care of him and they let Beast Boy go off with the Titans. Um, you know, had you but not, yeah, it was interesting that, that he was... I would have never kn- had you not mentioned this episode to me, I would have never known it existed. Because I actually I would... have no intention of ever watching Titans. I wouldn't have known if I hadn't started watching Titans. So I had finished, uh, originally finished Doom Patrol seasons one and two. 
uh, and then went and started on Titans and then episode whatever popped up titled Doom Patrol. I was like, what the fuck? So and it was kind of fun. And I like I like that they also changed how Rita eats her enormous mounds yes. of food. Let's let's talk about that for just a second. Here. Not long so, because it was gross. <laughs> so I understand. I totally understood. Sorry, something fell on my floor and I got to pick it up. So, I totally understood. And I think it makes sense why Rita needs to take in so many calories as she does. Because she turns into this gigantic blob. You know, I think that makes total sense. I just wish they didn't show it on camera the way that they did. <laughs> because she shows it. So first off, first off, I mentioned earlier how Rita always tries to give up this appearance of that she's a, a sophisticated woman. Which I do believe she is in, the, in some aspects. But with all the food that she piled on that plate, or she grabbed a gigantic steak, she grabbed a whole bunch of spaghetti, onion rings, a burger, uh, potatoes, and there was something else that she threw on there. And then she doused it all in gravy, all of it, everything. And it wasn't just a little gravy. She took the entire thing of gravy and just poured it over her plate. And she was eating it wearing white gloves, which I found to be incredibly weird. I don't know why that, why the gloves stuck out to me. But it's because I think she's always trying to give off this, you know, this persona that she is, you know, this sophisticated woman. She is a what? She's a woman of class, you know. Mm -hmm. But yet, here I am eating my my spaghetti gravy with, <laughs> you know, with fucking these uh, silky white gloves on and a red and a red dress. I just thought that was so weird. It was a unique scene that I wish I didn't watch. <laughs> <laughs> Because I was like, oh, like, I totally got it when she put all the food on her plate. She has to take in a lot of calories, but the gravy's what did it for me. Yeah, Sorry, I'm yeah. so focused on that. Right That's now. all right. I, uh, no, I completely agree. I kind of, it was super gross to watch. I was like, oh my, and all I could think during that point too was that poor actress. <laughs> uh, <laughs> How many takes did that take? And because you hear about like on set, there's always like a bucket. So when there's an eating scene, so the actors don't get full, they spit it out in between takes if they have to retake the scene. So it made me wonder, what does that bucket look like? I hope they didn't have to do multiple takes. Credit where credit's due, though. I mean, she did it. She did it. Literally showed her shoveling the spaghetti in her face. And I was just like, oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, well, I... I was I, just going to say, I hope you get into Doom, or I hope you get into Titans. I hope you enjoy it. My non-spoiler thoughts on Titans from what I've seen, again, I haven't finished season one because I get easily distracted with shows, was that it's definitely that darker DC take. But I'm very interested to see where they are going to take these characters. Because again, I know these characters from Teen Titans Go. <laughs> so Starfire has so far completely different like origin story compared to what I know about from the animated series. So they yeah. seem to be going a different route possibly with her. I remember and, the show was announced and they were announcing the casting. Oh god. This is, yeah. like, this, is this is when all the uh the fanboy bigots came out because yes all the racists came out and traditionally in the comic books and in cartoons, Starfire is orange. Yes, I I get that. She is orange. However, they cast a black woman to to play her, and suddenly, whoa, what the fuck? 
yeah. It's like, yeah. Come on. Yeah, that was super, super fucking ridiculous. Person on this planet that I know of should not be in front of a camera anymore. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. Right. I think no about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember hearing about all the hate that um, everyone had with the casting. The actress that plays Starfire, her name is Anna Diop, D-I-O-P. Uh, first yeah. time I've looked it up and pronounced it, so I apologize if I did not do that correctly. But I, but again, I think she's doing a great job. I think they're all doing a really good job. The actor that they have playing Robin, I very much see as a Robin, as a, a Dick Grayson. And so it's, again, just interested to see where they're going to take these characters and how much they're going to differ from Teen Titans Go. Quite a bit, I'm guessing. (laughs) Probably a lot. Final thoughts. Yeah. Doom Patrol. So, um, I think that once season three is done filming, because I think they're filming it now, if I remember correctly. Yes, I think Uh, you're right. Which I'm really happy about. And they're obviously going to need to pick up where they left off in season two, because season two... They were not done filming it yet. Um, COVID hit, and then they COVID. But they had. But I think I'm glad they still aired it. I'm glad that they aired as much of season two as they had. And you know what? The episode that season two ended on really could have been a, been a cliffhanger into a next season, but mm-hmm. we knew it wasn't done. But where was I going with this? Final thoughts. There was a lot more that I think that we could definitely talk about with Doom Patrol. And I think we both agree. There's not a single character on this show, maybe with the exception of Darren Jones, who we don't really like. Not like, you know, they're they're all very that every character in the show serves a purpose in their own unique way. Everything, everyone from Cliff to Danny, Danny to Mr. Nobody and everybody in between, even the beard, even the beard hunter, you know, (laughs) dirty beard eater. I wouldn't be talking about this show with you the way that I am if I would not, if I didn't feel personally that this is a show that I think a lot of people would really enjoy. Even if you're not into superheroes, it's not really a superhero movie in the or show in the end. It's it's really not. You get, I think you would, people will have to just kind of, they see the DC logo and they're going to think superheroes. It's an anti-hero. Yes, there are, they are the heroes. Yes, there are abilities there. But in the end, there's nothing super about them. These are tragic people. These are people who just have, who have just had shitty luck in their lives, you know? And throughout time, it gets a little better, but it never really corrects itself for any of them. They just learn to live their lives with their backs, with their backstories being what they are. And we see that even pour into season two, which, by the way, really quickly here, I'm just going to say this. The end of season one, where the gang are all little tiny people now. Uh-huh. And they're about to go and live in Cliff's little uh, uh, race car track. <laughs> it's Larry's job to take care of them and make miniature food for them. Teeny oh, tiny pancakes, but they're still huge to them. No, I love it. I love that so much. I can't wait till we do our season two episode. Yeah. I think that's really fun. And just um, think, by the time we get, um, by the time we'll be able to do our season two, we'll be able to do it in person because you uh, and I are both, by that point, we'll have both been completely upgraded. Um, <laughs> Love it. So 
I'm I'm so excited to be able to start doing in-person recordings again. We won't have these fucking internet issues and it'll just be nice to have that conversation face to face so I can interrupt you properly. And that's a weird virtual <laughs> ba- Oh, uh, 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 sorry, no. Go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't wait. I really can't. Um final thoughts. Yeah. Doom final Patrol, thoughts. give me yours. Oh, I loved it. I love it. I love it. I love it. It is so fun. And again, like I said at the beginning, it's really this, they really did a great job of mixing what made DC shows successful and what made Marvel movies successful and still managed to keep it kind of, you know, dark and gritty. It's not family friendly. Um, like the Marvel movies are, or even some of like the Arrowverse shows, you know, Flash is super family friendly. I love him. Um, so they found somehow they found the sweet spot with Doom Patrol because I think Titans can get it is is darker than Doom Patrol more consistently. Sure. I don't feel like we get as many of these. We don't get loose butts in <laughs> in Titans, at least not yet. Um, you, know, you know, whoever listens to anyone who listens to this who hasn't watched this, they're gonna be like, why do they keep saying loose butts? What the fuck is they'll loose? They'll just butt? have to go and watch the episode and find out. But yeah, I loved it. It's a lot of fun. It's and you get connected to these characters, so you feel for them. Um, you care about them, with the exception of that Jones asshole. But brilliantly done and brilliantly acted and everything. Again, yay, Brandon Fraser and, and the entire cast, really. So I'm excited I, to do season two. I'm excited that I have watched this show. I actually want tim to watch it so i'll definitely be re-watching it again with him once his schedule has slowed down so rewatchability is definitely up there i think anastasia may have been a little upset that i started the re-watching the show again without her because <gasps> and i don't know for sure she didn't really express any anything <laughs> like that but we did watch it the first time together and she loved it and so when i asked her if she wanted to watch an episode it was like episode three i was like do you want to come watch it with me and she was just like no, I didn't get to watch it from the beginning. I was just like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. I was like, I'm oh. doing work. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, awesome. Well, this was fun. I mean, I hope everybody, anyone who listens to this who hasn't watched Doom Patrol just hears the way that we've talked about these characters. And even though you may not get a, a, a huge perspective of everything that's happened, because so much happens in this show, you oh, guys. My. So much. I mean, me and Jen will, can talk to you for hours. But and I will say that because this show came out um episodically, so you know, weekly or whatever, that the each the beginning of each episode has the previously on, usually yeah. narrated by the brilliant Alan Tudyk, and he does an amazing job. And even within the show itself, from kind of episode from weird crazy hijinks to the next. They'll do a quick rundown of like, you know, Cliff, like I fought a gator. I, I'm a head in a tin can. I did this, you know. So you get these droplets of like <laughs> the insanity that is this show. You're trapped in a snow globe together. Yeah. <laughs> it's just one of the weird kooky things that happens in this show. And that was a crazy fucking episode. Oh, that my God. That was a crazy fucking episode. Um, so, but... but um, We'll definitely be back. We'll have more to say about season two. We'll probably ex and definitely expand more on our characters at that time and see where they're at. Yeah. Um, but Eric, thanks for joining me today. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. So great to Absolutely. geek out with you over shows. Miss it. 
But and I suppose probably the next time I see you, we'll be in the pod basement and we'll do a live, not a live oh. recording, but an in-person recording. Can't wait. But until then, everyone, um, thanks for listening and keep streaming. Bye.